Hey everybody, welcome back to the Gray Malkin Lane podcast. It is my favorite episode of the month, as always. I ask, ask my children, I've been like talking about this all day. I'm like, I'm so excited to uh, record the trial of this crazy lady this afternoon. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to be uh, hosting the trial of Ophelia Sarkisian, uh, if we are believing that that is her real name, or the incredible villainous Madame Hydra, aka Viper. Uh, I am uh, joined by a cast of regular friends from my trials. I'm so happy to see all of their faces, and I will introduce the jury in just a moment. But first, it is a new era on my show, and when I realized that we're starting in the early 70s with some significant tone shifts, uh, Amazing Adventures number 11 features the sexy girl Linda Donaldson as a Nazi spy who murders a man on the last page, and it's just a significantly different energy than the 60s girls we've had before. And I thought, what better way to open the year to represent that tone shift than Marvel's worst 60s villainess, uh, meaning she gets to actually be evil most of the time. Uh, and that is the character of Madame Hydra or the Viper. I prefer the name Madame Hydra. I'm going to use that a little more, but she goes by the Viper through a lot of her history. Um, when you look at Marvel villainesses in the 1960s, the list is not very long. So many of them are the token female on the team, the Scarlet Witch on the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Medusa on the Frightful Four, Princess Python on the Circus of Crime. They're counterpoints for the token females on the hero teams, like Wasp, Marvel Girl, and Invisible Girl, sometimes Crystal. Only a few of the villainesses from that era really stand out, like Hela and Enchantress, but there's one that shines for me far above the rest. Not only is she pure evil, she's the leader of an entire terrorist organization. She is chaos. Marvel has never quite seen someone like her before or since, unless you count those weird pit vipers, but we'll talk about them later. <laughs> Uh, her name is Madame Hydra. She first shows up in 1969 in Captain America. She's giving significant Bond villain energy from the beginning. Green tight bodysuit, exposed shoulders cut all the way down to her ribs. Green gloves up to her elbows, high-heeled boots, an X-crossed belt, a gun holster, and a whip. And she's got her hair hanging over the right side of her face. She's a Jim Steranko creation. He's the same guy that did the initial design on Lorna Dane. This man loves a green-haired girl. Uh, she is fierce, and she is scary, and she is unforgettable. So, Gray Malkin Lane presents the trial of Ophelia Sarkisian. I'm thrilled to be joined by five prolific, incredible, and insightful friends that I've been fortunate enough to meet through this show, and I'm so honored they keep coming back to talk about comic book characters with me. It's just a tremendous joy. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know your name, your pronouns, where we might know you from, and let me hear your initial thoughts on Madame Hydra. Um, I love to hear kind of what your thoughts on the character were before you started your research, because they always change during. Uh, let's begin with my dear friend, Steve Duda. Hi, Steve. It's great to see you. Hello. It is good <laughs> to see you, too. It's good to see you all again. And for those of you that I'm just meeting, it's good to see you, too. Um, yeah, my name is Steve. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. And uh, I, I, lo I love the Viper, who I prefer to call the Viper, as opposed to Madame Hydra. Um, I don't love the connection to Marvel's most famous post-Nazi group of terrorists. I do love the attempted connection to the Serpent Society, who are my favorite terrorist group of all time. There's there's no better group of people. They're actually just a workers' union of supervillains. They're just trying to, you know, get by and do the job and get paid fairly while doing it. Uh, and she has, in the past, attempted to completely take over that society and restructure it into a terrorist cult. And that's why she's such an effective villainess. <laughs> who among us has not known a labor leader who has tried to, you know, usurp the process in that manner? <laughs> 
Uh, great to see you. And uh, what a joy to see my dear friend, Hussein Rashid back. Hello, Hussein. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. Good to see some familiar faces and meet some new ones here today. Uh, Hussein Rashid, he, him, Graham Malkin, a regular number 74 and president of the union. Uh, gonna echo everything Steve just said uh, about Madam uh, Hydra slash Viper. I'm gonna go with Viper because why would you affiliate with Nazis if you don't need to? Uh, just a thing. Uh, the one place where I disagree with Steve is I think you can tell she's evil because she's union busting uh, every time she goes after the Serpent Society, you know, and that's just flat out evil. Um, oh, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. That is the, <laughs> that's the real villainy. That's the real villainy here. Um, and I think in terms of Hydra, you know, I never thought about Viper as a main character because she really doesn't show up in the X-Men universe um, in the same way. Although I do really remember the stories that I'm going to be covering uh, really well, like when I read them the first time. But for me, Viper wasn't a main villain there. It was always the Silver Samurai. And so it was interesting to get some of her background and realize, like, really how important she is and all that is, uh, the Mar that is of the Marvel Universe. So it, this was a great, great experience for me to add some more depth to the stories I love. I, uh, I just got to recently host the trial of the Atomic Samurai or or Sunfire, and I was very nervous. It turned out great, but now I'm really excited to get to Silver Samurai. I love this character. It'll be a minute. It's not happening in the next 12 months at the very least, but I'm very excited about this character. Uh, let me uh, go to my dear friend, Noel Reed. Noel, I haven't seen you in so long. How are you? Great. I'm so excited to be back. I always love joining these trials, so I'm super excited for today. Um, I'm Noelle Sheher, host of X-Men Unraveled, and I've really only, like, before doing the reading for today, kind of casually come across Viper here and there, um, but I love seeing her every time she's on the page. Like, I'm a total sucker for a hot lady in green, and she pulls the look off as well, if not better than anybody else. And so this reading for today was fun because I'm also a big supporter of women's wrongs. And I love that she just leans into being a villain. Excellent. Uh, it's wonderful to see the delightful and gorgeous Isabel Dieppa. Hi, Isabel. Hello. Thank you so much for bringing me back. I'm so excited to talk about another green-haired lady. Um, I was previously <laughs> on the show on the trial of Lorna. And, you know, it's very interesting. So I, um, I, I try to be a person who's very trauma informed. And so like, I don't believe that people are just straight up evil. And like, we usually have a choice. Like if we choose to do evil, it is the choice to do evil, or it is the choice to, um, learn from the things, the adversity that, um, harms us and to make us stronger. And so it's very interesting reading both uh, having done Lorna and then going into, I like Madame Hydra mostly because it's like a BDSM thing and I kind of feel like she gives BDSM vibes. And <laughs> I'm like, I could totally see her like as a madam, okay. Um, but it was interesting looking at the differences between like characters who um, they go through these trials by fire and they decide to transform and those who decide to like wear those wounds and become those wounds. And I feel like Madame Hydra kind of becomes that. And so that's kind of, I'm excited to get into um, the thesis of uh, why I think she actually is a villain. But I also support women's wrongs. And I think that we should, in literature, have both male and female well-developed villains. 
if history holds true uh, on these juries, the, uh, the the more chaotic and fun the character, the better they do. So she's clearly evil, but she's also a damn good time. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Steve, what were you going to say? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's appropriate, but I was just listening to Isabel talk about this. And I was like, yeah, Viper is absolutely the kind of person to go through a great personal trauma and say, yes, mommy, I shall become a Viper. <laughs> and lastly, my uh, my dear friend, uh, the esteemed Susan Kirtley. Hi, Susan. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back. I always love um, chatting with everyone, and I learned so much. So thank you. Uh, I'm Susan Kirtley. I um, use she/her pronouns. I am the director of comic studies at Portland State. And <clears throat> excuse me, it's not very uh, intelligent or articulate, except to say my experience of Madame Hydra before doing all this reading is just as a sort of style icon and and we've kind of gestured toward this but um you know i was always so impressed by her fashion choices and just that green look and i know we'll get into it but i would just like to say that not everyone can rock an octopus on your head and make it look good and she pulls it off she carries it off i did some research and like you would be amazed at the amount of like fan art like like sexy hydra with an octopus on her head and i'm like Wow. Now that is, that is like style icon right there. Uh, but I will say, I, uh, let me, let me pause it. you briefly. Yeah. I posted an image of that octopus head look on Instagram the other day. And I'm like, I, I tagged all my drag queen friends and I'm like, you need to do this look. And Demanda Martini is like, I have. And she posted an image back of her in that look. It was amazing. Uh, but keep going. <laughs> yes. Yes. But that's, yeah, exactly. So I just, um, and I enjoyed doing the reading because I got to get uh, a better insight into the depth and the and the history and the and the and the sort of you know that personal history behind the octopus helmet and you know like there's a lot going on there so I'm looking forward to to talking about it. There's a lot of her history we won't cover and that's one section that's great that we won't get into a lot of detail but boy is it a look it is infamous and yes. incredible. Okay, we have to open this conversation with a conversation about Nazis. Uh, Marvel Comics number one is Captain America punching Hitler in the face. The measure of evil in Marvel, like if we're going to villains, goes from like misunderstood, bullied person who turns to crime, uh, like on one side and on the other end of the spectrum is Nazis. Like these guys are more evil than demons because for demons, it's just their nature. Nazis make a choice to be this way, right? And a lot of Marvel's groups, uh, there's going to be a lot of conversation about Nazis on my show this year because we're going to be talking a lot about Hydra and the Secret Empire in the comics we're going to be reviewing. So in Marvel history, there's a lot of Nazis. And because we uh, are obsessed with Captain America, there's a lot of Nazi characters that keep coming back. and <laughs> We keep seeing them over and over. Hydra is Marvel's Nazi party in the modern era. It's it's a lot of things. It's a it's the remnants of the Third Reich carried over into the modern age. They're constantly trying to develop global power under the leadership of various Nazi sympathizers. Sometimes they're just terrorists. Sometimes they are very Proud Boys energy. Sometimes they are very insurgent. There's breakoffs like with AIM and them and other groups, but they're all kind of connected to this organization. Uh, and you cut off one head and two shall take its place is their kind of mantra. It happens over and over and over again. There have been many more than just three leaders of Hydra, but the most prominent are the Red Skull, who is Hitler's hateful right-hand man and a literal Nazi, uh, and Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, who is another power-hungry literal Nazi and the father of the awful Fenris twins. By the way, uh, not 
as much associated, but there's also a guy running around uh, named the hate monger who is like Hitler cloned into a KKK hood. It's very uncomfortable. But then we have Madame Hydra, and she doesn't quite fit in with these other guys. She wasn't there back at Hitler's side during World War II. She yeah. is willing to sympathize with Nazis, but she's not focused on the, quote, genocide of inferior races. Instead, she's focused on nihilism. We're going to talk about nihilism in a little while because it's a whole thing. Uh, but first, we never really get a clear origin for Madame Hydra. She's the product of war-torn Europe. Her parents were killed in some conflict, leaving her to survive on her own in a devastated environment. Making this very real, that means that she was a refugee in a broken country. And if we're talking modern era, we're seeing stories out of various countries that are reflecting this type of energy. So I immediately have a lot of sympathy for the people of Ukraine and Hamas. And, and oh my goodness, I just said Hamas. Let me edit. I have a medium amount of sympathy for the people of Ukraine and Gaza and other places that are being affected in this type of way. And it's a it's a serious thing because that means she's witnessing the oppressions of people, uh, pits full of bodies, sexual assaults, lack of food and water, lack of medical care, the corruption of those in power. At some point, the left side of her face was horribly scarred, and she began wearing her hair over her face to cover the scars. And a note, these scars are missing in many of her appearances. Maybe she's got an image inducer, or maybe she's had some cures because there's all kinds of wonky science out there. There are a few different versions of her origins. In one, she's suspected to be the mother of Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman. Uh, that was later to be retconned uh, by a trick as Morgan, uh, excuse me, as a trick by Morgan Le Fay. In another origin story, she became a criminal over a period of years and then joined Hydra as an adult, eventually taking over the organization by killing the leaders ahead of her. In another, she was taken in by Hydra as a young child and raised as a warrior by the organization, loyal to only a few within its ranks. So we don't know quite exactly what that story is. In time, her true name is revealed to be Ophelia Sarkisian, which is a fantastic supervillain name. And Sarkisian has Armenian origins. And just as a tie into history, in World War I, Armenia suffered a terrible genocidal war, an era of history that I frankly don't know a lot about, nor do I know the intentions of the writers by giving her this name. But there does seem to be a connection between the two. Uh, let's pause here and talk for just a minute. Steve, go ahead. I just wanted to cut in. I actually don't know the origin of the name Ophelia. I have always you know, enjoyed the name as it appears in things like Shakespeare. But uh, I did like that they went for a name that is similar enough to Ophidian, you know, a word meaning snake-like to go with her. And I think that sure. was a really brilliant choice. Absolutely. Always like Sarkeesian too. Just a great last name. But. Any other comments on the what we've presented so far? I'm just having a hard time placing uh, what conflict she was in. I mean, you talk a little bit about World War One for the Armenians, but I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. usually associated with Turkey. And even now, Tur people don't think of Turkey as Europe. So I'm really trying to figure out where they're positioning her and where she's coming from. I, not I, to justify or excuse anything. I'm just really curious. Like, Yeah, Marvel has is. all kinds of countries like Latveria and Simcaria that have been at wars. So I mean, we could, War, we could yeah. put something fictional in there too, for sure. <laughs> Um, but this uh, this sympathy that we get for her as a child from these circumstances kind of develops there a little bit. In uh, Captain America number 113, we get the first hints at Madame Hydra's past. And this is a quote. I'm going to use my own voice here. 
Who could ever have thought it would be I who destroyed Captain America? I, whose earliest memories were living nightmares, whose parents met death at the hands of the revolution in strife-torn Europe. I, who escaped with my life but at a terrible price, at the price of a face, one side of which was permanently scarred and disfigured. For years I struggled for mere survival, living by my wits as best I could, with none to guide me, with none to care. I drifted into a life of crime, culminating with the death of Baron Stroker, when, at the touch of a button, I eliminated those of highest Hydra rank, so that I, in this sector, would then become supreme Hydra. But never can I escape the tyranny of my mirror. <laughs> she's, uh, she's obsessed with her looks. Uh, there are three things about young Ophelia that uh, she becomes obsessed with as she grows up. Number one, she loves the color green. Like, she fucking loves it. Green hair, green suits, green lipstick, green heels, green everything all the time. Number two, she is obsessed with snakes. She takes the name Viper. She goes back to the Serpent Society in its various forms over the years. She tries more than once to turn civilians into snake people. And in one of my favorite moments in history in comic books, I reread this this morning and I was laughing out loud. I showed my children. Uh, she turns Ronald and Nancy Reagan into snake people and like laughs about it. <laughs> and in a way, even the Hydra monster is rather serpentine, of course. Number three, she is above all else a nihilist. And this is where we'll have a bigger conversation for a moment because nihilism is the premise that human society is meaningless. All knowledge, morals, and values ascribed by society are not only inherently corrupt in essence, but valueless and dangerous for the world itself. The term was initially popularized by Eigen Turgenev in the novel Fathers and Sons in the mid-1800s, but its roots go back to the 1700s, perhaps even before, as a philosophical term in a way to view the world. And it can be extended even farther back as a tenet of Buddhism hundreds of years before Christ. Many over the years have come to associate the concept of nihilism with that of political terrorism, and Madame Hydra is certainly of this philosophy. I am not an expert on nihilism uh, or this form of particular political nihilism, but it does seem my, in my brief research to show that the single and complete goal is of political nihilism, the destruction of all political institutions, along with the morals, values, and social constructs that accompany them. It's like one part chaos, one part anarchy. And the character Flag Smasher and his weird group Ultimatum, which stands for Underground Liberated Totally Integrated Mobile Army to Unite Mankind. It's the best acronym ever in comic book history. They have kind of this similar tenet. Uh, so let's talk about her origins and kind of the things she's obsessed with for a minute. What are your thoughts that, uh, as you, uh, as you, as you uh, ponder this? I know she's not a Mark Grunewald character originally. But Mark Grunewald's run uh, included a lot of this idea of like political nihilism. Obviously, Flag Smasher shows up a ton. Uh, the Red Skull is reimagined not as a not as a only a Nazi guy. Like, yes, he was a Nazi and did all the Nazi stuff and believes in that. But he only did that because he just loves evil. And that was a good way to express evil, you know? So, like, I don't know. Mark was really Mr. Grunewald was really... Uh, obsessed with this idea that the ultimate enemy of all that is good in the world, all that is order and all that is like democracy could be viewed as just like sheer bitter, like chaos, just poison spewed in every direction, foaming at the mouth. And Viper's just like the apotheosis of that, even though the Red Skull is in this run. And in one of the comics we're going to talk about, like is probably his finest moment in, in this run. But like Viper just like, I don't know what it is about her. She's just like spitting poison at every direction out of her mouth. There's some hilarious shit between Red Skull and Viper later. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, Isabel. 
So it's really interesting because there's like so much nuance and complexity when we talk about, um, for example, women and snakes. Like that's one of, there's a couple of points that I wanted to make, but one is that, you know, you go back to the, the biblical idea of like the serpent speaking to Eve and like having her, um, you know, eat the fruit and, um, ha- uh, and being like the, the original sin and how women are, are the harbingers of sin in a Christian um, philosophy and world. Um, like the biblical onset of rape culture. <laughs> yes. But here's the other thing that's interesting about snakes, though, because there are so many goddesses that have to do with snakes. And so snakes also have to do with shedding. I mean, I mean not to get too um, uh, 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 biological here, but like, you know, you think about like women's uteruses and you think about periods and how like there's like this literal shedding of the uterine lighting. And so women, they go through that process. And so it's very interesting that she as a villain is associated, uh, that she as a woman is associated with being a villain and that she loves snakes when, and snakes are seen as villainous when inherently like snakes are neither good nor bad. Um, but snakes are feminine. And so it kind of goes into this idea of like the, the feminine and the femininity being evil or like, uh, I don't trust this transformation. I don't trust that women can shed and become something new. And so, but it's interesting though, because, um, instead of shedding and evolving herself, what she does is like, she continues to shed to just become another version of the exact same person that she was. And um, like, there's this quote that it's on the on the fandom page uh, that Ophelia says that I like. I think to me, this is kind of what gives her um, what makes me think about her trauma because I'm like at the at the end of it, it's always it's always has to do with trauma. And have you have you healed your trauma or not? Because if you haven't, <laughs> you become a villain. But she says we were orphans, little girls, all alone. Hydra gave us a home, eight great houses, twelve girls to a house. And in the end, the most determined, the most ambitious, the most aggressive, that girl would be the viper. All it cost was everything. I have been married to a man I hated. I could not marry the man I loved. I betrayed him and I was betrayed in turn. Then I was murdered. Death, welcome and well-deserved. But Hydra, it seems, will never be done with me. To live and die and live again. So even in this, it's interesting because um, Viper or Madam Hydra, she does not have autonomy over her body ever. So she continues to like shed her skin to then just become a servant to Hydra again versus being able to like become a servant to herself and have her own autonomy. So that was fascinating. It's dawning on me as you're talking to giving thought to snakes. Snakes are like the Nazis of the animal kingdoms, like the way people think about them. They're like the evil lowest life form. It almost makes you wonder if that's where her obsession stems from, because it's the lowest form of life in that way. Uh, Susan, do you have thoughts here? You know, I was um, I I actually was fascinated by that um, conversation and thinking about these connections between women and villainy and snakes and you get the biblical references and all of these things i think that's really interesting i was also thinking about um the nihilism that that we were talking about and i I did a little research on nihilism and and i i'm sort of confused because um she keeps saying i do it all for nihilism over and over again and yet it doesn't sound like nihilism as (laughs) i understand it in that she's like 
advocating for a revolution. Like, it's not like nothing matters. Everything is corrupt. I'm going to burn it all down. It's like, I'm going to burn it all down. And then my comrades will rise up and make something else. And I guess it's like that make something else that I'm like, I don't know that you really understand the meaning of nihilism. As I, I, I feel like maybe there's some confusion I there. I, I'm, I, I'm curious I, what you guys think, because I'm also not an expert. I mean, this was this was, you know, me with my searching. So I, I'm curious. She's, about this. she's consistently teaming up with the worst people to take down the strongest people uh, and mm-hmm. like maybe kind of trying to give back to the lowest people. There seems to be that vibe yeah. consistently. Uh, Steve, yeah. go ahead. She's really inconsistent in her character, okay. and we can put that down to like men writing her not really caring about writing a consistent female character. I hate to bring it all back to Grunwald because, again, he's not the be all end all, but he wrote Captain America for 10 years, and mm-hmm. you know, Viper shows up a lot. Um, he does not have a like in his in his run, he does not have a co- coherent worldview of what anarchy is. It's something that really mm-hmm. bothers me personally as somebody like supportive of the anarchist political ideology. Um, it, it's a lot of straw men and it's a lot of like pointing against the idea of like what an, a jingoistic American might a- accept for, you know, order. But I think the thing to keep in mind, and I don't, I don't want to devolve into a treatise on Mark Grunewald's Captain America, but the thing to keep in mind is that Mark Grunewald was like a pretty cool person writing like the squarest dude imaginable, mm-hmm. you know, writing like Steve Rogers' thoughts all the time. So like his enemies have to be like ridiculous straw men. Mm-hmm. And I think that really like, I mean, that makes Flag Smasher a completely unusable character in, in like every way outside of a joke. But it makes Viper weirdly into like the compelling person that she is because she's so inconsistent and so like bad shit that she's like really, really fun to read. And I think that works. Like Spoilers. there's nothing intelligent to be said about the philosophy here, unfortunately. Spoilers, the recent series, uh, uh, Uncanny Avengers, ends with the evil Nazi version of Cap that was created by the Cosmic Cube becoming the new Flag Smasher. Uh, I hate that so much. <laughs> You're fired, saying, You're fired I, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> do you I, have any thoughts on the nihilism conversation? I, I, I do. I So I just, I, look, the nihilism and anarchy just drive me up the wall because, yeah, it's just, um, for me, Viper and all of this is just very opportunistic. And, you know, like she's looking to take over the strip of society. She's looking to take over Hydra. Again, I like, as you said earlier, Chad, I don't think it's it's any conviction for her in any way, shape or form. It's like there's a well-functioning structured organization she can plug into to achieve her ends. And that's to smash the systems that are there. It's a, it's almost Tyler Durden Fight Club-esque. And then, you know, but she's like, but we'll have branded credit cards just with Vipers on them. You know, like that'll be the system that we were set up. Um, so I think there's something just really weird and inconsistent, but I do like the fact that she's a really amoral character. Um, and, and I think that's what makes her interesting is that I don't think she's bad for the sake of being bad in the way the Red Skull is. I think she does bad things to maybe work towards something that we don't know what it is. And I think that it's, it's both makes her interesting and makes it really frustrating to do with her as a character. Even now, I think it's hard-pressed for me to come up with a list of really evil female characters at Marvel. There is a list, and a lot of them come later in the comics. But, you know, Mystique's not evil. She's complicated. Hela's not evil. She's complicated. Viper is evil. I mean, I love her. I love her very much. But she'd be the first to tell you that she's evil. Uh, Steve. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm really talking a lot about Viper right now, but I just go, I get so excited about her. And you're all saying such really interesting stuff about her. Uh, Hussein, that little bit you said about comparing her to the Red Skull is interesting because I was thinking about right, right before we got on the call about how she's like a weird inversion sort of a Red Skull in this, in this like 
again, I, I'm not. I'm, this is the last thing I'm gonna. The last time I'm gonna mention Mark Grunewald. I swear. But <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing with like the Red Skull is like a guy who like grew up to join the Nazis and then from being a Nazi eventually worked outward and was like, I want more evil and Nazism is over. So what can help me achieve my evil? Capitalism, nihilism, you know, like political anarchy and the destruction of order, you know. And she's kind of the opposite in that, in the sense that she comes from this background of, I want to do completely amoral, like evil for fun kind of things. And like, well, these Nazis will kind of like help me do that because they're Nazis and they're crazy and they're evil. So she takes over Hydra eventually. They're like a strange, like dovetailing of concepts as they cross each other. So Madame Hydra, or Viper, as she is often called, is one of Marvel's most frequently used villains. She's alarmingly consistent as a character over the decades, even though inconsistently written. There's a lot of complexities to her. She's a fashion icon in green. She's obsessed with overthrowing constructs of power that exist. She's also a huge showman. And this is my favorite part is she's this drama. It's delicious. Uh, She's often seeking to accomplish her means through like destroying national parades or attacking the White House or Avengers Tower or by like launching rockets that will poison people or poisoning water supplies. Uh, She loves the idea of creating a national panic. She also inspires loyalty in others, sometimes through cruelty. She's effectively led Hydra and other organizations for many years. She has an extended period of ruling uh, ruling the entire nation of Madripoor associated with her history, which is crazy. She also is part dominatrix. She loves to inflict pain. She carries a whip. She wears spiked heels. She's often seen keeping men on chains. She loves a long skinny cigarette as she sits in green leather on a throne with a whip curled at her feet. It's that kind of energy constantly. Let me throw a couple of quotes your way about this character. Her first words on the page as her arm is raised in a lazy Heil Hitler. She says, no one must interfere with our supreme strategy, the complete contamination of the city's water supply. Therefore, destroy him. She has an army of Hydra soldiers who have power vests and flame bazookas, and she whips Bucky, who is Rick Jones dressed like Captain America's sidekick from World War II, around the neck and points a gun at his head during the fight. And she sends a series of death traps against Captain America while coolly smoking a cigarette and promising death to any agents who cross her. In her second appearance, Madame Hydra tried the same tactics in a new organization, the Serpent Squad. And I quote, I reject my previous name to take up the struggle for certain supremacy, for the triumph of terror over the forces of so-called civilization. Now I take the nom de guerre of Viper. And she kills the original Viper and took on his identity. We talk about this in my Patreon on the eel with Austin Gordon if you want to learn more about that version of Viper. Uh, Then she spouts her true religion. She cares nothing for death or money or society. We are all but pawns of the greater forces in society. I fight for nihilism and will continue to do so until I too, until, excuse me, until I in turn am cut down. When Hugh Jones is about to be sacrificed to the serpent crown, and I'm not giving context here, he's pleading to Viper, saying, Viper, you're a woman. You wouldn't, you couldn't let this happen. And she replies, Pig, you think my sex makes me soft? You are wrong, Mr. Executive. I am the hardest person you will ever encounter. And I'm a little bit turned on. (laughs) And then then in a moment when she thought she has killed Spider-Woman later, she states, I should mourn, Jessica. You, Because she thinks Jessica's her daughter here. 
You meant more to me than any person, anything, but I lost the capacity to weep when I was stripped of my humanity and reborn as a creature of chaos. A new order shall rule this world. I am its herald. When I am done, nothing that exists shall remain, and the darkness which infests my heart will live in everyone's. In truth, by slaying you, I have done you a service, for now you will see neither the Holocaust nor its terrible aftermath. I envy you. I would join you if I could. And lastly, in Captain America number 282, she states, Early in life, I saw my European homeland raised by revolution, saw my parents slaughtered, saw my sisters defiled and discarded. I understood then how hopelessly corrupt the human animal is. And that is a stinking truth your America seeks to disguise with perfumes and powders, a horror you lock away in prefabricated houses, kept dreamy-eyed and docile by plug-in drugs. This character has a lot of competing sides. She loves a monologue, though, and she loves some dramatic moments. Noelle, what are some of your favorite uh, Viper storylines or plot lines? I actually really love the um, the quote when, who was it, Hugh Jones is begging, you're a woman, you're not going to do this to me. Because, like, whatever nihilism means to her, um, it, I think it saves her from a lot of pitfalls that female characters fall into, especially villains. Like the ones you mentioned earlier, Hella, um, can't remember who else you said, but like they're complicated. And Viper is complicated in an entirely different way. Um, she doesn't have that like soft spot that gets written into a lot of female characters that makes them, well, are they kind of good? Could they be good? She doesn't care about that. She's not going down that road. Um, and I really will cover it more in my section, but um, when she lures people in to turn them into snake people, it's just so cold and so cruel. And I just think it like really highlights that everybody's there to be used and she doesn't have any of that softness or like weakness that usually gets written into female characters the same way. Yeah, she you cannot kiss her and make her join your side. I really love that. Like if you kiss her, you're more likely to die horribly. Because she poisoned her lipstick, <laughs> Isabel. Yeah, she's she's a real poison ivy, and you know, and I'm always gonna love that. Oh, so I one of the things that I love about like her monologues and her like monologuing. Um, well, first, I love that her actual name is very Shakespearean, Ophelia. But there also, I feel like her, actually her character gives reference to another great villain who is actually male, which is Richard the Third. And if you've read Richard III, he has this great monologue in Richard III, Act One, where he says, um, uh, I cannot prove a lover to entertain these farewell spoken days. I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasure of these days. And actually, he has a very similar in that monologue where he talks about the reason why he will be a villain and the reason why he cannot be a prove a lover is because he is deformed. And so you already have, you know, as you mentioned earlier, that um, uh, Viper, she was deformed. So she has a lot of, she is a Richard III in comics. And Richard III is like the juiciest villain that you ever want to play, like on stage. Like every actor wants to play Richard III. So um, yeah, so it was just like really cool to like hear it as her, her seeing it from her perspective as well. 
I have really smart friends. This is fun. Also, they just pointed out in the group chat, Steve just pointed out that Hugh Jones, who's the president of Roxxon Oil in this particular story, which is a play on Exxon, obviously, his name is Hugh Jones. And I've never noticed that before. And it's my favorite thing that I've learned today. <laughs> Hugh Jones. It's amazing. Also, just that Richard the Third bit was so good. It's so smart. Yeah. Never considered that before, but you're dead on. Thank you. I, I have a background in theater. Like that is. I'm yeah. a huge Shakespeare nerd and I I I love all of Shakespeare's canon. So anytime that I can actually like insert Shakespeare or theater, I'm like, oh, oh, there's a thing. This is the reference. And I get Obvi right obviously the Ophelia for sure. I always got that. But like when you say like the I am determined to prove a villain and the disfigurement, like that is so yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. In her later appearances, uh, since the year 2000 or so, Viper's facial scarring has disappeared off and on. She's worked with other people much more often, although she certainly had some team-ups over the years. Her goals have changed. They've given her variable motivations beyond nihilism. She ruled Madripoor. She married Wolverine. She teamed up with Courtney Ross, a Saturnine. She joined the Hellfire Club as the White Princess for a minute. She owned a branch of Murder World. She programmed some Predator's X to hunt victims. She joined Norman Osborn's Hammer. Uh, she joined a cabal of villains in the Secret Empire and briefly took over the world. Uh, world domination, power, control, revenge, and nihilism are kind of always on the tip of her tongue, though. Uh, then there was her octopus head era, which is infamous. Susan brought this up earlier. We're not going to talk about this, but Jonathan Hickman wrote this brilliant book called Secret Warriors. If you loved Hawkspox, uh, this guy has an amazing way of building a world and exploring it from all angles. And Secret Warriors is an early Marvel example of that. Uh, in this, he really delves deep into the Hydra of it all, the lore, the secret bases, the power of the organization. Many of Viper's moves over the years, including her wedding to Wolverine and her betrayal of the Silver Samurai, who is a man that she loves at some points, uh, were at the command of Hydra, they say here. She gets killed and then resurrected with an octopus on her head. And it sounds stupid, but it's really fucking great. And she goes by Madame Hydra again for a while, and it doesn't last long, but the story is great. However, she's not in it a whole bunch. She's just one of the big Hydra heads. Sort of like a sort of like Hickman built us an Orcus, right? Like he built us a Hydra at this point. Viper does not care for a lot of people, but she does have a close relationship with the Silver Samurai, who is an incredible character. In New Mutants number six, she uncharacteristically showed a softness toward him, implying they were lovers, and she expressed sorrow as he grieved his father's passing. Later in Secret Warriors, she admits that she did love him, but the Hydra required her to betray him. She did have a, an intense love affair in one issue with Ishiro Tagara, uh, there is a fascinating interlude when Viper is romancing the Red Skull, who at the time had a literal Red Skull face, but was on the cloned body of Captain America. So super hot body, ugly Red Skull face. He breaks Viper out of prison. He tells her he wants to fund her nihilism. And then he probably is fucking her because it shows them like hot tubbing and drinking champagne together and openly flirting, which makes the incredible character Mother Knight like very jealous. Uh, Red Skull at one point straps himself onto a torture wheel so that Viper can make him hurt for pleasure. And the fact that this is what this man gets down to in his downtime somehow makes me hate him even more. But she is amazing. Uh, Viper has fought many of Marvel's heroes over the years, but for a long time she was considered primarily a Captain America villain. 
Uh, look at how she must view Captain America and all he represents. Uh, she's got to see him as increasingly and steadily naive over the years as they go by. Uh, she's fought him as the leader of Hydra, the leader of the Serpent Society as part of Hammer. But she also has a long history of fighting Wolverine and the X-Men as well, and in some surprising places. Uh, when she ruled Madripoor, which was one of the X-Men's most frequent hangouts, she fought them over and over again. Claremont has used her in Excalibur, in Extreme X-Men, in Uncanny X-Men, in New Mutants. She was in the Beast Limited series and in the Hunt for Wolverine Mystery and Madripoor series. So there's a lot of unique spaces for this character, uh, and she's not always consistent as mentioned, but she's always a ton of fun. Let me hear your thoughts on this section of uh, of her character, and particularly on her her relationships with others, including her enemies. I think she's just such an interesting foil for all of the heroes. They've got their ideals, and they've got all of these things that they live up to, and she just doesn't care. She's not interested in that, and I love how it just, you know... Not that I subscribe to whatever Viper's worldview is, but she really highlights, you know, where the hollowness might be and like what all these heroes might be trying to live up to or trying to inspire. Um, so I love how she's just, it doesn't really matter what uh, hero she's up against, whether it's Captain America and what he represents or the X-Men. She's just a great foil to what it is that they are supposed to be idealizing. What makes her uh, an interesting foil for, let's say, Wolverine? I think, um, and I was reading my, I'm thinking of my section about this, but Wolverine has these ideas about honor and loyalty and friendship um, that Viper just doesn't really relate to. She doesn't care about those things. Uh, there's, you know, aside from the couple characters you mentioned where she might have ties to them, everybody's a tool for her. And I think that's very different from how Wolverine interacts, um, despite how his exterior might present. Any thoughts on the uh, the Viper Silver Samurai relationship? I think it's I think it's interesting that Viper gets pulled into the whole Wolverine Orientalism angle. You know, like the she was the prince. I, I, maybe I'll talk about that a little bit later. But she refers to herself almost consistently as the Prince of Madripoor, which I think is really fun and gender fucky. But like we get we we consistently get these characters who are like not associated with, you know, Eastern Asia or Southeastern Asia or the Pacific or anywhere that Madripoor is supposed to be at any given time, but always get pulled into these things. And Silver Samurai is one of those characters, but it, it almost feels like they were just slotted in together. Like we just had these two characters that we were going to do this kind of stuff with and they became partners. I don't know which came first. Did she get associated with Madripoor well after the Silver Samurai stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was yeah, with the but, Silver Samurai in like the 80s and the Madripoor stuff is like in the 2000s. That's right. Yeah, because I, I read some of that for this. Thanks for again assigning me my least favorite part of Marvel Comics history. <laughs> I know you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can handle anything, obviously. But um, yeah, her Silver Samurai stuff is interesting. I don't I don't know. I just I think there's some kind of weird connection to the Madripoor stuff or at least somebody eventually made that connection you know to like pull it in but uh, otherwise why is she constantly associated with Wolverine and his various like ninja enemies Madripoor for those that are unfamiliar is a well it's hard to describe succinctly it has a lot of East Asian traditions associated with it but it's it's ultimately an island that is extraordinarily corrupt there's Hightown and Lowtown Hightown is full of criminals 
who are the 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 more white collar style of criminals who yeah. uh, influence things and have bids for power. Where Lowtown is also full of criminals, but the more blue collar criminals, if you will, where it's an unsafe place to live because it's poverty and people are always seeking to exploit you. And kind of the balance of power in those lands are stories that are explored in Wolverine a lot. So Madame Hydra is the leader of this place, which is also, by the way, a place that Mystique and Sabretooth have been in charge of for a while. It's a fascinating place, uh, worthy of a much longer conversation. Yeah, uh, Susan, do you have any several books on that? Yeah, there's a lot actually. Uh, Susan, do you have any thoughts on uh, Madame Hydra's relationships? I think it's interesting to look at. It. We we're talking about whether there's any softness in her, and if there is any, um, I think they try and develop it in those moments with Jessica Drew, um, and and with Silver Samurai, and they're kind of hinting at a little bit of softness. But at the same time, and I'll talk about this in my section, but there's a point where she's in a battle with Silver, not it, she's in a battle, Silver Samurai's on her side, and 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 uh, they're about to be captured or whatever, and and Silver Samurai's like, go on without me. And she's kind of like, shrug, okay, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> right on, you know. So it's like they kind of try and hint at the softness, like maybe with Silver Samurai, but in the end, she's like, you know what, I'm out of here. You you know, you do you, and takes off. And, and and as a villain, it's like, all right, thank you. I respect that logic, you know? So it's it's interesting. Maybe a hint, they're trying to hint at the softness, but then then they kind of pull it back. Uh, Hussein, any thoughts? Yeah, I really like the relationship with Silver Samurai. It feels so real compared to all the other relationships that we, well, at least that I came across uh, for this trial. Um, and it just, again, it's that inconsistency, though, that that drives me up the wall. It's like, I, why? Why be in a relationship at all if it's all crap? <laughs> and we need to burn it down. I don't get it. Um, I think that she has a relationship with Silver Samurai because she's a fellow nihilistic spark in him. And he, does, he isn't that way. Like, Famously, what makes him a good enemy of Wolverine is exactly what doesn't make her, you know, a good enemy of Wolverine or what it's the opposite thing. I love the there's some kind of I love the idea of like he sees some sort of softness in her underneath the hard exterior. Like he's the Captain America guy, like he's the steady, stable, loyal, uh, you know, there's an honor to him that's very consistent. And I kind of like the idea of he's the one person that sees this other side of her. Uh, but she doesn't show it at all. She just she just fucking loves him back. But it's also probably just a fake thing, right? Like she just keeps resources around because she maybe maybe he is gr- a great lay, and she's just if, focused on her nihilistic causes. <laughs> if we're talking about uh, resources, maybe this is the time to mention. It. I don't think we've mentioned it anymore uh, yet so far on the pod. But do you all know where the teleport ring comes from that Viper has? Because I do. Talk about it. <laughs> It's maybe a reason that she stuck around with Silver Samurai so long is because she originally got the teleport ring that she uses throughout her entire history as like a really iconic piece of Viper technology <clears throat> from Silver Samurai. He got it from John Belushi, from you know, from Saturday Night Live um, in Marvel Team Up number 74. So there's, there's a whole thing there where the Silver Samurai ended up with John Belushi's teleportation ring, and it ended up being a ring that he gifted to Viper you know, kind of romantic and that she continues to use even as far as the stories I read, which are very new to me, some of the stuff from the 2000s. Um, so that's just a little bit of fun trivia for you there. <laughs> it's, um, it's a really bizarre thing that ties them together. 
A quick poll of the crowd. Uh, what's your single favorite Madame Hydra story, if everybody has one? What's the one that you loved above all others? Uh, Isabel? Um, I mean, so I lo- I, I'm a very big Spider-Woman fan. And I know that they retconned the mother-daughter thing. But, like, I, like, I think that my favorite form of villainy is, like, having the idea of, like, Madame Hydra or Viper being Jessica Drew's mom and going up against her daughter. Like, I, I think that there's, we don't talk enough about, like, chaotic mother-daughter relationships and how, <laughs> like, they can really mess you up. So, like, to see that, like, just talking about, like, generational trauma and like her mother literally being the villain against her is so it's not I guess it's not one story but like those arcs when she is the villain with Jessica Drew always just like fascinates me because a a I, I don't know maybe it just like it's a personal thing and it just like resonates with me a lot yeah that one was a retcon to be a trick by Morgan Le Fay by the way very preemptive announcement but in the latter half of 2024 everybody can anticipate a Morgan Le Fay trial on Grey Malkin Lane which I'm very excited about uh Hussein do you have a favorite story I um I didn't until we did this trial and I have to say I really liked which is part of my trial segment where she tries to turn everybody to snakes by poisoning the uh, the, uh water supply uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that she got the Reagans. You know, after the war on drugs, throwing the queer community under the bus because of AIDS and just basically going after everybody and everything. Yep. Like, yeah, they really are snakes. Make it real. But, but saying that issue feels so that. good to read. Uh, Steve, what's your favorite? It really does. <laughs> it's Cap 344. Don't tread on me. Also known as the captain versus the deadliest snake of all, which is Reagan and not Viper in this issue. <laughs> it's explicit on the cover. When I showed my children this, they're like, who's Ronald Reagan? And I'm like, oh, you don't know why this is funny. Uh, Susan, do you have a favorite story? I, I think two that have been mentioned, um, you know, turning Reagans into snakes is amazing. And then also, um, as with Isabel, I love the relationship with Spider-Woman, even if it gets retconned. I just have this quote where uh, Viper, Madam Hydra, is talking to her, who she, she believes to be her daughter. And she says, I want to hold her, hug her, tell her how much I love kill her and i'm just like wow <laughs> wow like so much to unpack right like she's, yeah. she's breaking the programming and returning to her natural charming self <laughs> yeah yeah and it's just so much uh, fun so much to unpack in that storyline <laughs> and uh, noel i was gonna say the wolverine stories because that's been mostly how i've come to know viper as i'm reading but that was because i momentarily forgot about the reagan thing and uh that that it's hard to top i uh i love the story where she's at the parade uh i love the story where she owns murder world there's a there's a few fun runs but reagan wins for sure this is such a great moment (laughs) steve's holding up the image of reagan turning into a snake man as viper laughs in the corner it's fantastic (laughs) uh okay well with that let's talk about the uh or let's commence with the trial of ophelia sarkisian I've organized the trial here mostly chronologically, but we do not cover every appearance. I leave a lot of stories out in which she's kind of just part of some villain team or didn't get a lot of featured space. And she has enough appearances that we could leave those out. 
She has a long and fascinating chronology, so make sure to look her up if you want to know more of her full history. I chose stories that best reflect the character points we're bringing up here, and again, she's just a ton of fun. Uh, each jury member has been assigned a specific section of history. They will be providing a prosecution and a defense after I do the presentation, and then all of us, including me, will be voting using a scale from one to five. One means the most innocent, and five means the most guilty or evil, and that's just kind of how we're using that scale. You guys all get to decide what those numbers mean for yourselves. We will take a total score at the end of the trial. Trial point one is called Super Spy. Uh, this is uh, this has been assigned to my friend Susan Kirtley. The key issues in this section are Captain America 110 and 11, 113 and 180 through 182, Marvel Team Up 84 and 85, and Spider-Woman 42 through 44. In her first act as leader of Hydra, Madame Hydra ordered the water supply of New York City to be poisoned, but Captain America stopped her. She then killed the agent who'd allowed for the failure and went after Cap again, setting traps for him in an arcade and capturing Rick Jones. She sent the armored man-killer robot, of course, it's sent by a woman, and a group of armed men after Captain America, who had been at that time publicly revealed to be Steve Rogers. And Cap briefly faked his own death, causing the public to believe that Steve Rogers had been a cover identity. Madame Hydra gassed the heroes at Captain America's public funeral. He, uh, She captured them, but then Cap, who is alive, attacked and revealing he was still okay. He easily defeated the Hydra agents. Madame Hydra tried destroying him with missiles, but then was lost in the ensuing explosion. And weirdly, at least some of the actions were committed by a space phantom posing as Madame Hydra in this section. This makes this a weird story, but we simply do not need to worry about space phantoms or even explain them right now because they're, they're an obscure Marvel thing. Madame Hydra killed the supervillain Viper and then took over the Serpent Squad, consisting of Princess Python, the Eel, and Cobra. They attacked the premiere of the new Captain America movie, where they fought Cap in the guise of Nomad, as he had recently fought, uh, lost faith in the corrupt American government. Then Viper revealed that she had partnered with Warlord Krang from Atlantis, who had the powerful artifact the Serpent Crown, which is an artifact granting the user chaos powers of Cthon, but eventually they will take you over... They kidnapped Hugh Jones, haha, <laughs> the president of Roxxon Oil, but Nomad interrupted the mission. Viper then donned the Serpent Crown, revealing, uh, excuse me, Viper then donned the Serpent Crown herself and sowed chaos, but Nomad stopped her. As the Cobra regretted their alliance, realizing Viper was a madwoman, she was determined to be a martyr for her cause so that others might become nihilists. But both she and the Serpent Crown were lost in a wreckage. Viper was saved by Ishiro Tagara, a man she grew to love. Then she made a plan to destabilize the capitalist government of the United States so that the less fortunate could create something new in the chaos. She employed the Silver Samurai and Boomerang, designed a hypno-beam and a teleport ring, and took over the minds of key agents on the S.H.I.E.L.D. Helico uh, helicarrier. Things got complicated when Spider-Man, Black Widow, who seemed to know Viper, and weirdly they are kind of parallels of each other now that I'm thinking about it, she and Black Widow. Uh, she, uh, Nick Fury and Shang-Chi all got involved as well. They stormed the helicarrier. Viper rushed to kill the president and the vice president, as well as senators, congressmen, the cabinet, the Supreme Court, and the Joint, C Joint Chiefs of Staff all in one swoop. And she wanted to do it on national television by smashing the helicarrier into the building. In the end, disaster is averted, and Viper goes plunging off the ship, reportedly into the propellers. I mean, just epic. 
Uh, she's soon back with short hair. She learns of an old World War II plot of the Red Skull, a black soldier named Michael Kramer, who had been experimented on and tortured and given the powers of a living death that would affect those around him if a catalyst was activated. Yes, this is a real story. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, calling himself the Judas Man. Viper and the Silver Samurai order the, or the kidnapping of this man's daughter, Pamela Kramer. But they killed the operatives when they failed and narrowly avoided uh, or escaped a fight from Spider-Woman. Viper became aware that Spider-Woman was Jessica Drew, a woman that she at the time believed to be her daughter, but she overcame her motherly feelings and ordered Jessica to be killed. Viper ended up sparring with the badly wounded Lindsay McCabe in her second attempt to kidnap Pamela, and later she fought Spider-Woman, who was wearing her costume, who then escaped with the Judas Man and got him cured. Spider-Woman attacked Viper's base, defeated her soldiers, and then had the yacht fire on Spider-Woman. <laughs> There's an underwater battle, and Viper reveals that she's Jessica's mother, Miriam Drew, and they part peacefully. I'm way oversimplifying, but Morgan Le Fay and Chathon are involved here, and Viper says a lot of shit. The handbooks will sort this out later. Uh, with that, let me turn this insane comic book history over to uh, Susan Kirtley. Thank you. Uh, we have so much going on. Uh, I will try and keep it brief, uh, both in this section and we just have so much to talk about. So I have been called upon to discuss these early years um, of Ophelia Madam Hydra Viper. And so I will begin with the prosecution. I will rely on three primary points. Uh, first of all, Madam Hydra works openly and unabashedly for Hydra slash Nazis. Uh, Matt, oh, point number two, Madam Hydra murders a whole bunch of people. And number three, she's a very lazy philosopher. So taking these points briefly, again, briefly in turn. So she works openly and unabashedly for Hydra. So after proving herself, as you said, as an agent, she quickly rises through the ranks to become one of the leaders of the organization. And we all know that Hydra are horrible. As you point out, Red Skull, Nazis, there's just no coming back from that. So that's the first point. Secondly, she murders a whole bunch of people and particularly um, commits the particularly egregious act of killing minions and interesting characters. So for example, she kills one of the minions who fails to capture Captain America by giving him, I love this, a literal death warrant. It's an envelope and you open it and it's full of poison gas. I guess maybe this is also a cool thing, but okay. It's, <laughs> it's a minion and she gives him this death warrant. Like I appreciate the wordplay, but as a leader, she should have taken the employee aside, discussed went wrong, and then made sort of an action plan for improvement improvement rather than murdering him. It's just, it's leadership 101. You just, you know, she's killing these minions. I adore um, the idea of her utilizing human resources at Hydra. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they're, you know, good minions are hard to find. And then she also, she also murders interesting characters like the original Viper. So she decides, as you pointed out, she wants to take this name, Viper. So she goes after the original Viper, Jordan Strike Dixon, um, and he's such an interesting character, as you well know. Um, he's this advertising executive. He's really funny with these delightful advertising campaigns to sell utterly worthless products. And when she, when Madame Hydra confronts him, she says, "I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to take your name." And and if he says, "Like, oh, um, no, you can have it. Like, you don't have to kill me. Take the name." But she says. 
Do not deceive yourself that your glib capitalist tongue can sway me from my mission. I care nothing for death, yours or anyone's. If my plans go awry, I have no doubt that the forces of your society will serve it up to me. In truth, uh, very little means anything to me, fool. I've seen too much of life to have any illusions regarding its importance. There is no meaning here, only happenstance. We are but the pawns of the greater forces in society. I fight for nihilism and shall continue to do so until I, in turn, am cut down. And then she kills him. And this is super creepy. She, like, strips his costume off him. And then somehow it magically fits her. It's a complete downgrade. It's like a super plain green costume. It doesn't have the cool holsters. It's like, it's the it's really a dark time for her fashion-wise. But like, <laughs> she strips him. It's super creepy. So she murders a whole bunch of people, including minions and interesting characters. And then finally, she is a super, in my mind, as you pointed out, lazy and inconsistent philosopher. I mean, I did a little bit of research here. You know, uh, the Cambridge Dictionary says that nihilism is a belief that all political and religious organizations are bad or a system of thought that says there are no principles or beliefs that have any meaning or can be true. But she keeps pledging herself. I'm a nihilist. And then she's like also says that she's committed committed to this idea of a revolution for the common people. Like she'll murder some people and then she'll tell the bystanders, I'm doing this for you. I'm saving you. And I'm like, what? Are you a nihilist? Are you a communist? What? What's going on? So, in summation for the prosecution, I would assert that Ophelia needs to do her homework. She also needs to stop associating with terrible humans, murdering people, and wearing their clothes. And for that, <laughs> we must find her guilty. So, shall I just launch into the defense? Yes, okay. Okay. So, the defense, again, I'm going to try and break it down quickly into a few key points. Our poor, poor Ophelia endured brainwashing by a criminal organization, possession by a space phantom, bewitching by a powerful sorceress, and manipulation by an elder god. And finally, we should point out her fabulous sense of style, which I think redeems her in so many ways. So she was brainwashed by Hydra. Uh, we had a quote there talking about, you know, she grew up, this is a quote, I grew up alone, struggling for survival, with none to guide me and no one to care. Crime consumed me, and I clawed my way to the rank of Supreme Hydra in one of Hydra's arms. So she's coming from this place of, you know, she has nothing. Um, she's struggling, and Hydra takes her in, and it's all she knows. So she's kind of brainwashed into this, this way of being. She doesn't know any better. So this is obviously a key factor. Another key factor, apart from the early trauma and brainwashing, she has to be exonerated as she wasn't even in her body during that little misunderstanding with Captain America when she tried to poison the water supply. Space Phantom, as you point out, was in possession of her body during much of that time. We don't know exactly how much, but given we don't know, we need to acquit her. Also, in a later, there was a little kerfluffle when she tries to unleash that whole plague thing. Um, and she also believes herself to be Spider-Woman's mother, but... She was actually under a spell, as we pointed out, by Morgan Le Fay and um, under control by the elder god Cathelm. So um, she explains to Viper, having defeated uh, the spell and coming, coming out from that imprisonment, she says, I have been his slave for over 50 years, unable to resist, yet allowed sufficient awareness to make that slavery an unbearable torment. Alone, I could not fight, but together we triumphed. I am very proud of you, Jessica. So we have this little touching moment. She's been released 
from this slavery by Cathona. She puts it, she says she's been enslaved by him. She's under the spell. She's really goes through a lot here. We're talking about brainwashing, possession, under spells, under control from these other people. And then finally, despite all of these challenges, she has managed to craft a look that is both practical and fashionable. <laughs> totally iconic. The fashion is on point. She's got the long black hair swept over the side of her face, the green lips, the expert winged eyeliner, got the great sleeveless spandex bodysuit. We're not going to talk about the whole viper face. That was that was just a brief mistake. <laughs> She's got the crisscross gun holsters, the gloves, the whip, the green knee-high boots that long elegant cigarette you got to know she's a villain like the cigarette it is a total power look so in summary poor ophelia was desperate in a desperate and weakened state when she was brainwashed and manipulated by hydra her body was stolen by space phantom during the whole misunderstanding it was a misunderstanding about poisoning new york's water later the poor woman was put under a spell by morgan lefay and her mind was held captive by cathone and given these events i think we can all agree that poor ophelia cannot be held responsible for any wrongdoing rather we should celebrate her resilience and fabulous fashion sense <laughs> all right. excellent excellent i would love to hear what it was like for you to read these old stranko captain america comics they're they're a time capsule they really are and seeing that stranko art you know, um, it was interesting because she's so striking visually and you don't even, I, I, there wasn't even like a backstory for a long time, but the art really carried the day. It was like, woo, she is quite a foil for our, you know, our heroes here. Um, so it was, it was uh, a lot of fun, I think, to, to read these early ones. She's just very striking from her very first introduction. I um I'm gonna be voting five because I think if I voted anything less, she would hunt me down and murder me herself. <laughs> but I, I I think one of my big questions in making my determination of her culpability is how loyal is she to the Hydra cause? Is it a ruse? Are they tools? Or is this something that she is avidly dedicated to? Her? Because her as a nihilist is her hilarious. Her as a Nazi nihilist is really scary. <laughs> Do we have thoughts on this? I I have a lot of thoughts on. Last time, I have a lot of thoughts on Grunwald's Red Skull uh, because he controversially made the choice to say he's not just a Nazi. He's not saying he's not a Nazi. He's saying he's something worse, you know, where Nazism is like a tool. And I feel like I like to read Madame Hydra that way. I like to put her on the level of evil and terror of the Red Skull. I think she deserves it from these early issues. Like, like you were saying, she's so compelling. Everything she has to say is frightening but eloquent and well argued but also and like, hot <laughs> yeah it's hot she's inconsistent in her philosophy but she's clearly lying and she's like so good at lying and so it just it drives me crazy it makes me angry that she looks so good while she's talking like this she should not be allowed to but she does anyway and that just makes her all the better i don't know so as we're processing, do we have questions or comments from the jury on this section or particularly on things that will help you make your determination for your vote? Yeah, I was going to ask which which parts are Space Phantom. Uh, the Space Phantom is the um, section where she, the the very early section where she's trying to poison the water supply and sends the death warrant. Um, it's that early section that's the Space Phantom. I mean, there has been quite a bit of you know possession taking over yeah. spell casting, but that little chunk is the is the original the i'll cover early. this very briefly in immortus's limbo which is a time out of yeah. or a place out of time if you get stuck there a long time you turn into a creature called a space phantom immortus then 
will weaponize these creatures to take your place on Earth. And when they do that, you're trapped in limbo, but they take your form and act as you for a period of time. They're very creepy characters. If you read Busiek's uh, Avengers, uh, Forever. Avengers Forever, it this is all revealed as a plot by Immortus to appease the timekeepers. It's it's just, it's not relevant to our show, but yes, there was a space phantom. And these are the creepiest looking Marvel characters of all. They're so scary looking. They're yeah. these old like Lon Chaney villains with like, giant eyeballs. I hate a space phantom. Second or third most useful retcon patch job in history, also by good <laughs> reason. Um, he's he's good at that, but um, yeah, no, I I was I was gonna say that would make a lot of difference if it was anything but the poisoning the water supply, but and I I hate to let other parts spoil it, but she just poisons a lot of water supplies, so I can't discount that she would have done this even if she wasn't a space phantom. It's in her nature. <laughs> Uh, from the other members of the jury, any questions or comments in this section? Do we know what year the issue where everything's going down and she tries to kill the Supreme Court was? That is the uh, late 70s, if I'm recalling correctly. Okay, okay. It's mitigating to me. <laughs> well, she does go after Jimmy Carter explicitly, which that's not cool. I mean, not cool. Yes, yeah, not. It's cool, very different from going after Reagan and Nancy for sure. Yes, yes. No, yeah. I agree. She's like, I'm going after Jimmy Carter. It's, it's, yeah. That's very upsetting. There's a little bit of a factor three three vibe here. If you guys recall the Silver Age story, where there's uh, a, an alien mutant master forming a group of mutants that are trying to pit the West and the East against each other. If they destroy each other, then we can take over the mutants, right? Like that's the storyline. There's there's almost a vibe here where she's pitting Hydra against the American government, and they're the worst things. Both all of them to hit the planet. The the group of Nazis and the group of 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 American uh, po politicians. Uh, pitting them against each other, perhaps uh, she gets to rule the middle. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. And then this occasional cause of like, she wants to let the little people rise up and, and you know, I too will die and someone will take my place. Uh, interesting. Are we ready to vote here? Let's go Isabel and then Steve. Um. So I, I would vote that, Um. I would vote that she is guilty. Go so one so to five. Would, from one to five, uh, can you please remind me again where uh, on the on the scale what does one represent and what does five one, represent? One is the lowest, five is the highest. That's all. Oh, a five. She's she's a five. I feel like um, given the information that was shared, she very much believes in her cause. So I like I, I was actually going to make this comment earlier that I think that she does believe in Hydra. It's like when people are zealots and they internalize that philosophy. I think that even though she might not understand exactly what it is that she believes in, she blindly believes in it and 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 she revels in it. Steve? Yeah, this one's a five for me, mainly because there's at least one issue later on where I know I would vote two if I get the chance. So this one's a five. <laughs> Noelle? I'm also going five. It is a five for me. Uh, Hussein and then Susan. I'm going to go five because I can't tell if it's worse that she believes in a Nazi organization or she doesn't care enough about what a Nazi organization believes in for her to just take it over and run with it. So it's a five no matter what. Yeah, I, I love her. Yeah, but but yeah, she's real evil. <laughs> oh, OK. I, I'm going to say uh, five because, you know, you don't mess with Jimmy Carter. That's not cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much for reading and presenting, Susan. Uh, we're going to go to trial point two next, which we're calling Snake Woman. And the assigned jury member here is Hussein Rashid. Uh, the key issues here are Captain America 281 through 283, New Mutants 5 and 6, Uncanny X-Men 172 and 173, and then Captain America one, uh, 341 to 344 and 350. Having learned about the tampering in her mind, Viper lured Spider-Woman into a big trap, sending snakes to kill her as she announced her intent to murder millions. When one of her loyal agents told her that Spider-Woman had lived, Viper murdered the man and then had him fed to a giant snake. Fuck. She had established an organization that, uh, excuse me. She had established an organization and had a new vision of the bubonic plague developed, which she planned to release in Hartsdale, Illinois, where it could spread forth and kill millions. Avoiding S.H.I.E.L.D., Viper and her operatives, including Constrictor, captured Captain America so that he could watch it all happen. In the big dramatic end involving a parade, a hot air balloon, and a tolling bell, Viper was defeated in an explosion and her plot was foiled. Viper and Silver Samurai soon sent their operatives to attack Team America, hoping to flush out their superpowered companion, the Masked Marauder. This is this guy's like a a bunch of mutants get together and they manifest a big like black clad motorcycle warrior guy. <laughs> it's a weird storyline about Team America. Anyway, they're trying to they're trying to find the Masked Marauder. But the new mutants intervened and Viper saw a young Mirage taken over by the Masked Marauder persona and had her captured. When Mirage's powers activated to show Viper's biggest fears, that of young Viper wandering war-torn Europe helpless, Viper struck Danielle Moonstar and held her hostage to force Team America to, to, Team America to commit a heist. When the New Mutants stormed the place, Viper tried to kill some of the teenagers, but karma stopped her mind. Viper soon went with Harada to Japan, where she sought to claim his place at, at excuse me, where he sought to claim his place at the head of the clan Yoshida from Mariko Yoshida. Viper knocked out Mariko, briefly sparred with Yukio, and then got easily defeated by Storm. Later, when Silver Samurai was defeated, Viper tried to shoot Rogue, but in the process, her blaster overloaded. In the end, she teleported away from the X-Men with Silver Samurai. Viper recruited several snake-themed supervillains, including Ferdelance, Puff Adder, who's a mutant, Copperhead, Black Racer, Boomslang, Rock Python, and Slither, another mutant, and used them to infiltrate the successful criminal organization, the Serpent Society. Viper dressed as a French maid and then snuck in and bit Sidewinder's neck to poison him, but he managed to teleport away. Madame Hydra made the other servants pledge fealty to her and uh, would poison them with her fangs if they didn't. As the water supply was poisoned, Viper fought off the captain, who is a newly disillusioned Captain America wearing black, and his allies. Uh, her ship was shot down. She had new fangs broken when she tried to bite <laughs> when she tried to bite Captain America's chainmail. Uh, but it was all too late. Washington, D.C. was suddenly overrun by mutated snake men, including Ronald and Nancy Reagan. While the snake men in the city rioted, Viper bit and poisoned D-Man, then attacked the White House with machine guns and a flamethrower, gunning down Secret Service agents before finding the president and his wife, who she also planned to kill. She waited behind the curtain while the snake Reagan battled Captain America, but Viper was soon defeated and things were reverted to normal. And that is a fucking story, my friends. Let me turn it over to Hussein. I, I love the fact that in the recap, you only got through like 
half of the stuff that happened in Captain America when Viper's trying to poison, turn everybody into snakes. There's the whole Captain America versus Captain storyline happening in there as well, which is a hot mess. There's a lot um, going on in the comics at this area. There's a, that was that was it was this was dense. It's, it's layered. It's very it's Claremont, but not Claremont. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so I need to preface this that I and I, I texted Chad this like I don't know how to defend somebody who is cool with Nazis. Like I just I can't. At the same time, everybody deserves a defense. So I will do my best recognizing. No matter what, she's a five in my mind because she's cool with Nazis. Uh, so just I'm just going to lay that out there. I will be uh, all over the place. Okay, so we start her first plot. The first place we come into is in a Cap- Captain America story where she's trying to bring in the bubonic plague. She uh, she sets out uh, Bucky from the 1950s. And I did not realize there was actually another Bucky from the 1950s. But Cap finds a Bucky from the or Bucky from the 1950s finds Cap and is like, be my friend because I had super soldier serum and turned into uh, a psychopath for a little bit. But now I'm better and I need friends. Um, and so Cap takes him in uh, because Buck, 1950s Bucky doesn't know what he's doing. Cap gets captured. And the first thing that I think we can put uh, Viper on trial for is dosing Captain America with opium because that man needs to relax. Is that really a crime? Um, I, I'm not entirely convinced of that. Uh, but, okay, she she doses him. Opium's illegal, fine. Um, one of the worst things that happens, I think, as a result of that is part of Viper's plan is to do this parade where she's going to release the plague and she's she's got Captain America at the head of the float and it looks like he's doing a sig hail at the head of the float, and I'm like, oh, we're 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 doing a 40 year run up to uh, to Secret Empire. Uh, that's a that's a deep cut right there. <laughs> uh, but um, bubonic plague, bad. Don't do it. She should be tried for that. But the plague is a mammalian virus, and she's trying to spread it through reptiles. So. Maybe it's just a gimmick because she's got to be smarter than that, right? Unless it's like her old nihilistic philosophy is like, actually, don't read anything. Don't know anything. Just like do what sounds cool. But let's go with the fact that it's just a gimmick. She actually wasn't trying to kill anybody because she knew the plague wouldn't spread through through snakes. So I think we can put her on trial for dosing Cap with opium. But really, doesn't he need it? So really? And then the plague, bad. But also through snakes, not so good. Not sure that was really a plan. Make your own decision. I'm just presenting you with the evidence. Then we hit, um, we jump ahead to the new mutant storyline. And I, and I love this because the Captain America storyline ends with uh, with this explosion. You presume she dies. And there's one of those little editorial caption notes. Last seen presumed dead in Captain America. And you're like, thank you for acknowledging that this happened like two weeks ago. We thought she was dead and now she is. So she's looking for this guy, Dark Rider, who hangs out with Team America. Fuck yeah. Am I the only one who thought that, by the way, when uh, when you read Team America? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, Team America is, this, you know, does this. How did Professor X describe it? It's a gestalt. 
of Team America that forms Dark Rider. It's a so mutant, I guess it's a mutant circuit. Uh, nothing says early '80s Marvel like Team America. <laughs> like that, really, really. Uh, but yeah, you get all of them together. You get this Dark Rider who comes in and saves their ass every single time they need it. Uh, but I guess the Dark Rider possesses somebody. In this case, possessed Danny Moonstar. Uh, so Viper was looking for Dark Rider, took Danny Moonstar because she thought Moonstar was uh, Dark Rider. So trying to kidnap somebody bad, not specifically looking for for Moonstar, nah, is it a crime? You know, mistaken identity. You know, really, we can we can we can decide whether she should be tried for that or not. Uh, I'm not entirely sold. I, I really think Team America's the real villains in this series because they're just fighting each other, you know, laying it on the table and measuring constantly. And then Professor X decides to throw in with that mess. And you're like, dude, just no, you're a jerk. <laughs> just don't do it. Uh, and then we get, uh, uh, although we do get a really touching moment between Sean and uh, Danny at one point, which I thought was a really nice. Are you okay, my beloved? Yes, my dear. And you're like, can you just get married or take it into a bedroom or something? It's just this one little panel. And you're like, <laughs> just move on. Um, and then I don't actually understand what the crime was that she was trying to get Team America and Dark Rider to do, which is get this crystal from an aim base. Maybe because I didn't finish the whole arc. But I never understood what that crystal was supposed to do. We just assume it's nefarious because Viper wants it and aim <laughs> had it. So I'm not actually sure what the crime anywhere here is. And then we skip ahead to, uh, God, really one of those X-Men stories that so sticks with me after having read it in print for the first time, you know, 40-some-odd years ago, 30-some-odd years ago, uh, where Silver Samurai is involved and Wolverine is getting married and uh, and Viper's... Uh... Yeah, again, I'm not entirely sure what Viper's doing here. This feels like a Silver Samurai versus... Uh, Mariko versus Wolverine story where Viper sort of gets uh, enthralled. Coolest thing about this arc, though, is this is where Aurora cuts loose, meets Yukio, starts that love affair, goes punk, wears all leather, goes mohawk. Best, best arc ever. Um, but, you know, Viper tries to kill Rogue, who, you know, you can't really kill. So, Prime? Eh, not sure. Um, she tries to go after... Uh, uh, Mariko, but again, that seems to be for love of Silver Samurai. Even though Silver Samurai keeps referring to her as mistress and by your command, my liege, and there's some kink going on there that I'm not quite getting. Um, so, you know, there we go. Uh, so again, not entirely sure what the, the crime is here. Uh, that's at stake. Then we come to my favorite, favorite, favorite Viper story, because you really do turn this guy, Ronald Reagan, into a stake. This is a guy who worked with America's enemies to keep hostages as hostages so he could win an election, continue to trade arms with them illegally, uh, elevated the war on drugs into the racial war that we know it to be, uh, went after the gay community to no end, literally threw them under the bus with the rise of the plague years. I mean, you could not find a better representation of who the Reagans were than to turn them into snakes. Uh, backstabbing, evil, poisonous for the American body politic. Uh, I thought it was the perfect representation. 
Uh, turning everybody else into snakes? Yeah, not so sold on. But the Reagans, that feels like it's revealing their true nature. Uh, and Steve was was very kind to remind me of what is perhaps one of the best monologues in this entire arc, which is when Madame Viper, well, Madame Hydra Viper is uh, the the water supply has been contaminated. People are turning into snakes, and she's coming in. She's got these guns in both hands, the bandoliers of bullets. Um, and I'm not going to do the higher pitch because it'll sound more comedic than I, it needs to be. Uh, but she says, "Ha ha 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 ha." Burn, Washington, burn. I am the viper, collect at the nation's breast, boiled at the nation's breast. America is weak and decadent. Its people are materialistic, automatons, its institutions oppressive and obsolete. Its leaders shameless charlatans and capitalist tools. And here at the so-called White House, we find American degradation at its most venal. Prepare yourself, America, for I have come to cut out your heart. I love love this monologue because it's like, yes, the people in the White House are absolutely corrupt. And is it really the heart of our nation that she's cutting out? And if so, what an indictment of our country. Uh, so I she just say love this. anything untrue. <laughs> I, you know, this is mitigating circumstance. She sees an opportunity. She sees points. it, you know, but again, turning all of DC into snakes. I like DC for the most part, except for certain neighborhoods. You know, uh, again, so, again, I'm voting a five, but God, she's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, these arcs are so I'm so happy you gave me these arcs because this is like, yes, I love the, her messiness here. And I like see why you love her so much. But goddamn, she's a five all across the board. <laughs> but hopefully uh, I've given you enough reasonable doubt that you can find a way to bring yourself to at least think about this differently. You did your due diligence, but yeah, she's really evil. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm picturing if you had done the higher voice, that it'd be a little like uh, like Yzma in the Emperor's New Groove when she gets the kitten voice. Yes. Like, ah, it's me. <laughs> that's where I was afraid I would go, and that's not where I wanted to go. <laughs> um, what questions and comments do we have from the jury in this section? If anyone has not read the Captain America 344, please go do so. Give yourself a treat. It's fantastic. Please read it. There's a lot I'll of make gay, one comment. There's a lot she of gay did... stuff with Nomad and D-Man too. It's fun. Yeah. I'll, oh, I'll, yes. I'll make one comment here and before we make our final decisions, because I feel like there's a lot of fives in the section and there's there's maybe a one in this section. I'm not saying which one it is, but maybe there's a one in this section. But <laughs> Something to make a, uh, it didn't get brought up here, but it is personally important to me, is that in Captain America 344, Viper does poison D-Man, who has a heart condition. And it's been having a really bad week, like an extremely bad week. So that's a, maybe the worst thing she does in that issue. Go see my Patreon on D-Man with Christian Smith. We talk a lot about that story. Poor D-Man. I love him very much. Uh, any other uh, comments from the jury in this section before we vote? Uh, if you're going to vote five, everybody just hold up a hand uh, so I can take a poll. Everyone is voting five, but let me hear your comments if you have anything you'd like to say about your votes here. I, I definitely. About a four. Go ahead. Uh, let's go, Noelle, and then Steve. I thought about a four because of Reagan, but I feel like she would want me to say that that is a five. What could I say that Noelle hasn't already said? That really covers it. She would want that bubonic plague. Like, everything she does in the Reagan issue is, like, for the good of humanity. But she also poisoned D-Man, who is my boyfriend. 
all of these stories are really fun, you guys. They're genuinely good superhero comics at their best. I really enjoy them. Uh, with that, oh, uh, Isabel, go ahead. I, I think that, you know, what's interesting is that even when she does do a good deed, um, it actually is always done for selfish reasons. So it's not even a good deed. And that's why she's a villain. Like she revels in her villainy and uh, her villainy. And so like, she wants to always be a five. She wants to always be the worst villain. It's very important to her. <laughs> She's so good at it, too. Yeah. As we'll I see. thought about that, too. I thought about, like, in the last section that I did, I thought about giving her a four. Because I was like, you know, she was possessed a lot of the time. But then I, I sort of thought, no, no, no. That would be, like, a big disappointment to her, you know? Like, yeah. I thought about that, too, Noelle. Like, you were saying, like, I thought about a four, but... Yeah, no. I think this is I think this is the first trial I've been on, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first trial I've been on where a five feels like the thing the character would want. Like when we did Toad famously, I went ex to extreme lengths to try to defend a character who doesn't really require a defense. But this one, it feels like it would be wrong. Well, with 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 a few others, like with Quasimodo, I remember being like, he wants fives, but he just never gets there. <laughs> <Spare> there. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're going to jump to trial point three, uh, in which case we're calling this Madripoor. The assigned jury member here is Noelle Reed. The key issues here are Punisher Annual Number 2, the Beast Limited series, Wolverine 125 and 126, and 128, as well as 167 and 169. Taking the name, you guys, this is her alias and it's the best thing ever. Taking the name Leona Hiss. Oh my god, it's transcendent. Leona Hiss, but also calling herself Madam Viper. Viper opened a drug treatment clinic, but turned the patrons coming to her for help into snake men, who she then enjoyed whipping. Uh, when Moon Knight and Punisher attacked, Viper turned Punisher into a snake man and then fled into the chaos. After some weird schemes in Canada and some weird stuff with people called Pit Vipers, these are women that Viper hired to pose as her in various plots, which is a way that like she could die but still be around because it was actually Pit Vipers that did that. Anyway, Viper hired Spiral and rather aggressively flirted with Gateway in a very weird story to a mutant young, uh, to, excuse me, to kidnap young mutants, Leong and Yaga, the siblings of Karma, uh, into and, and to, to change them into superpowered operatives. Soon, Beast, Cannonball, and Karma attacked, but the twins had already been mutated into superpowered adult forms. It's very weird. Uh, this is resolving a very long plot line where Karma's been looking for her missing siblings for ages, and now they're back as these, like, adult warriors. Anyway, Viper also seemed to flirt with the child, Leong, who had been transformed into an adult. As the battle raged out of control, Viper revealed that General Nguyen Khoi Man, and see my episode on this character with Trung Nguyen, had once taken over her mind through the mutant Tron when she had worked for Hydra, and he had forced her to be in his harem for weeks. And now she wants revenge on Karma as a result, because that's Ch uh, Tron's twin. In the end, Spiral and Viper disappeared as the body shop exploded. The body shop is Spiral's crazy plastic surgery factory in another dimension. In a plot to get Wolverine to marry her, both to unite the warring factions of Madripoor and to fulfill a Hydra assignment, Viper drugged Spider-Woman, Jean Grey, Psylocke, Rogue, Tiger Tiger, and Yukio, and then sent them after Wolverine. 
Once Wolverine gets captured, Viper reminded him of Seraph's promise that he must marry her one day, and she marries him and gets a green dress. We're not talking about Seraph. She's an old ally of Wolverine's that died. Sabretooth attacked the wedding later while presiding over the blood sport competition where superpowered people fight to the death. Viper saw many people killed in combat. Ogun eventually possessed her. Uh, Viper then stabbed Wolverine in the abdomen and Ogun fled her body. She was then given, uh, excuse me, she was stabbed by Wolverine in the abdomen. Uh, Ogun fled her body and then Viper was given medical help after she promised to divorce Wolverine. There's a lot of stories mixed in here. <laughs> Let me turn it over to Noelle. Okay, I will keep it as short as I can. I had lots of thoughts and there were lots of stories, so apologies. Um, all right, let's start with the prosecution. Uh, the range of Viper's crimes during this period is nearly as shocking as their cruelty. Um, quick rundown, using vulnerable people as science experiments, kidnapping children, turning them into weapons, uh, mind control, and forced marriage. In each of these crimes, Viper acts strategically and with intention, like each of her crimes is premeditated. So I think that needs to be taken into consideration uh, when judging her guilt. First, she creates a quote unquote clinic where she lures unsuspecting and vulnerable people who are addicted to drugs for supposed treatment. Instead, she injects them with a serum that turns them into cold-blooded snake men. If they're in like a cold building, they like move really slow. So they're like cold-blooded snakes now. And they have to serve as her small army and as cannon fodder for heroes that go after her. She also tries to turn the Punisher with the serum, but he does get better. So at least an attempted snake transformation there. Then the kidnapping of Karma's young siblings. Um, I don't know exactly how old they are, but they're very small children when they're taken. Um, and then gives them to spiral for her heinous mutations at the body shop. They're aged into adults and then basically used as like battle slaves for spiral and viper. Can, can so you just knows? indulge us and can you indulge us and tell us what these twins look like when they're aged to adults? <laughs> oh my gosh. They're one of them has like a skin power. It's <laughs> horrifying. I'll put, I'll put an image in the group chat. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, and so they do get better, but who knows what kind of lasting uh, trauma these two children are going to suffer as a result of Viper's scheme. And she did this all to carry out vengeance against Karma's uncle. So the kids and Karma, they're all innocent victims caught up in Viper's plan for vengeance. Then for Madripoor, she mind controls six women to get to Wolverine. Jean Grey, Rogue, Psylocke, Spider-Woman, Tiger Tiger, and Yukio more innocent victims caught up in her plots. She also tries to get Kitty Pride um, in this whole thing. So an attempted brainwashing there. And she does this with just callous intention, not caring about the physical or psychological damage that might entail for these victims. And then finally calling in a debt, she forces Wolverine to marry her. She preys on his sense of honor to coerce the marriage um, and really seems to enjoy like the torment this causes him. Um, he's then ostracized by his group of friends who were brainwashed and now see him marrying this woman who did the brainwashing. And so as he's being taken advantage of, he's 
left alone by most of his friends. Overall, Viper endangers the lives and mental well-being of everyone she encounters. Every person is merely a tool for her to use for her own ends. Um, and all of her crimes are carried out with forethought and malice. So as the prosecution, I would ask the jury to find her guilty to the highest degree. Now, as the defense, I would like to say that the prosecution made some interesting points, but I would like to present the following considerations to Miss Sarkisian's alleged crimes. First of all, she's incredibly hot, and in every appearance in these issues, she's absolutely serving. In <laughs> uh, fact, that the prosecution chose to overlook. Along with her daily green glam that we've already talked about, she shows up to her wedding to Wolverine in a gorgeous green outfit with a green bouquet. And I would like to present this as evidence. So you can see she's got the pants, there's embroidery around the sides, and then she's got this cool cape thing and some really sharp uh, shoulder pad things that are just gorgeous. Um, she's also very generous with her fashion skills. Each of the women that she brainwashed um, for her proposal to Wolverine gets their own green makeover and they all look incredible. So, you know, very generous there to share this sense of style. Um, the prosecution also alleged that Ms. Sarkisian takes advantage of vulnerable drug addicts, but in fact, she is taking people off the streets and offering them employment. She is providing a service to the community and helping these individuals build solid resumes. While the kidnapping of Karma's siblings is unfortunate, it's Spiral, not Miss Sarkisian, that carries out the cruel transformations that the prosecution wants to level at Miss Sarkisian. Uh, and considering the reason for this, which is Karma's uncle, he, he was the like main instigator of this whole situation because Miss Sarkisian is a victim of trauma herself leading to all of these actions. She was forced into General Nguyen Khoi Man's harem and sexually abused. So her actions against Karma and Karma's siblings are merely an unfortunate byproduct of the General's cruel abuse of Miss Sarkisian herself. The General's a reprehensible character. Yeah. Pretty bad. So finally, Wolverine was not forced into marriage with Miss Sarkisian. He agreed based on the terms of a deal made years earlier in remembrance of Seraph. He had a chance to say no, but he went into the marriage willingly and also dressed up for the occasion. Perhaps Miss Sarkisian was not the right person for him, but James Howlett is not known for making the best relationship decisions. And Ms. Sarkisian cannot be held responsible for that. In conclusion, I think the jury should um, deliver a verdict of not guilty. The prosecution has built a narrative that doesn't fit the facts of the case. And I urge you not to be drawn in by their slanderous accusations. Excellent work, Noelle. Oh, my God, it's good to see you. I have two questions for you. Number one, what are your thoughts on the Beast Limited series? <sighs> I, I didn't love it. Yeah, not great. <laughs> <laughs> one it was really hard to find um and then when i read it i was like yeah no this makes sense why it's not just here on marvel unlimited it's uh it ties up this old plot line of karma's missing siblings uh and then she flirts with the child that's been reverted to the adult form and that's the leon character i i put an image in the group 
Leong, when he's transformed by Spiral, is so hot. <laughs> like, I kind of get it, but also it's really problematic because it's a mutated child. But he's so hot in this picture. Uh, you can share your thoughts. Uh, my second question for you, Noel, is uh, is uh, Viper and Wolverine fucking? Are, are they fucking during the time when they're married? I want to say yes, but I do not believe so. Like, I, I wish I could say. I wish I could believe that they are. I will I will share that I I I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I'm ninety percent sure that she says they absolutely did during my segment. Oh, see, there is a point during mine where she said they hadn't consummated the marriage. Uh, I think I feel like she mentioned something about his capacities in bed at some point. I don't remember exactly. I I did not enjoy a lot of my comments. <laughs> Wolverine, uh, I can see him being like, I hate you, but you're hot, so okay. But we're not gonna talk about it. <laughs> Man was married to the Witchblade. He's he's all kinds of freaky. Uh I I uh, uh uh let me turn it over to the jury first. Do we have any questions or comments on this section? These are some wild X-Men comics. Uh, Noel, I hope it was fun for you to to put these together. It's fun to see characters like Spiral here. Uh, they're 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 delicious. I have uh, that. I'm kind of assuming everyone is voting five again. If you if you are not voting five, don't put your hand up. If you are voting five, let me see by a show of hands. Okay, so four of us are voting five. Let me hear uh, from Isabel. What is your vote? Uh, so I'm I'm voting a four because of the um, sexual trauma. Like I do feel like that. Like there are things that it is. It's absolutely like not your fault. Like yes, you do need to deal with it, and it doesn't excuse her. But um, the, it 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 does give me a little more empathy and sympathy towards her. Um, it's ironic. Uh, and this is why it's a four and not like a three or a two because. Her body was, um, she was not, she did not have control of her body. Someone else took control of her body. And then she turned around and did the same thing to like five other women, yeah. which like what makes it detestable. But it also like, it's strange because it's like, like people who are traumatized tend to also traumatize other people. And so. Yeah. And the motivation of it was Tron and the general that hurt her, but now she's going after karma and punishing innocent children to get at her. That's a weird way of getting revenge, but that's a rough story. And again, Trung and I talk about that in accordance with the general, uh, who's just the worst. He's a terrible character. I mean, he's a great villain, but he's a terrible character. Yeah. Uh, Noel, what is your vote? I'm also four for the same reason. I have, I feel like Isabel, you covered it. <laughs> okay, so that gives us a 28 out of 30. Does anyone have thoughts on... Uh, on... <laughs> Viper and Wolverine being married? Are you sad they're no longer together? Is this the love of Wolverine's life? No. I mean, like, <laughs> she's a she's a great person to always be in his life to be like, yeah, we fucked. Feel weird about it. Which is basically her entire role from this point onward. But, I mean, again, I've said what I've said about the Witchblade and Mariko exists, so we don't need anybody else. Uh, Noella, oh, Susan, go ahead. So I was just gonna say it's definitely worth looking up the wedding, though, for the fashion, as you pointed out so eloquently. It's it's worth looking it up for that reason alone. It's really magnificent. Noel, I loved your your honor. She's so hot. <laughs> yeah, I left for so long, and I'm so glad I remembered to mute for that. <laughs> okay. I had to. 
<laughs> I, I, I contemplated like making it a mitigating factor for everyone's case, but I, I only did it for mine. <laughs> We're going to move to trial point four, which we are calling Murder World. The assigned jury member here is Steve Duda. The key issues are Extreme X-Men 10 through 12 and 17, Uncanny X-Men 448 and 449, Iron Man Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Annual 1, and then the Astonishing Tales Wolverine Punisher series. Guys, there's a lot of X-Men stuff with this character. People don't often remember. When the Conqueror Khan from Dimension X invaded Madripoor, Viper had a reluctant alliance with the X-Men, who disagreed with Viper killing some of the alien warriors that had been taken captive. Storm directly attacked Viper, who later turned on Storm, drugging her with her talons, which led to Storm getting kidnapped. Viper began to arm the populace of Madripoor to fight for themselves against Khan's forces, but Sage ended up shooting Viper and threatening her to leave the X-Men alone forever after. Viper then took over Murder World and placed the Queen of England in it. <laughs> As base, and then trapped the X-Men, uh, consisting of Bishop, Nightcrawler, Storm, Marvel Girl, and Sage, in a series of death traps, sometimes entering the combat arena uh, herself for fun. Viper kicked Marvel Girl's ass and then kicked, killed Sage with a gunshot to the head, but it turned out to be uh, Sage was Wolverine using an image inducer instead, so she survived. The X-Men escaped Murder World and destroyed a new excuse me, and destroyed a nuclear weapon that Viper had programmed to detonate. Uh, then, lastly, Iron Man and S.H.I.E.L.D. entered Madripoor with the goal of removing Viper from power, and they were successful, but only after she murdered men, poisoning one, beheading another. Then she tried to poison Stark himself. As she was removed from power, she fled Madripoor unscathed. Viper worked with Kimura, uh, see my episode on Kimura with Erica Schultz, uh, to program pr uh, Predator X monsters to hunt down specific targets. And they ended up battling Wolverine and the Punisher in an, in an attempt to retake Madripoor. Tiger Tiger got Viper's blood and threatened to send a Predator X after her if she did not retreat. Uh, let me turn it over to uh, my friend Steve. This is a fun segment. I had not read any of this before. This is all new Viper stuff to me. Um, she <laughs> she is written maybe less consistently than ever during this segment. So um, in terms of prosecution, I will say um, there's a lot to hate here. Um, Viper, during an invasion of Earth by conquerors from another dimension that should have just been Kang, but for some reason isn't, uh, is Khan, I guess. But um, during this during this invasion of Earth, uh, Viper, acting as the ruling prince of Madripoor, as she repeatedly states, very interesting, I think. Very interesting that she likes that title. Um, during the entire time, uh, the X-Men are specifically defending Madripoor from an alien invasion. Viper basically works against them at every opportunity. Um, they're forced to work with her because she is, you know, she's the the prince of this principality. She's the absolute monarch, it seems, of Madripoor. I don't know, the political structure of Madripoor is really strange and really interesting and variable over time. Uh, but at this point, yeah, she is an absolute monarch, the prince of Madripoor, and she will only allow the X-Men to fight off this invasion as long as they work with her on it, and they sort of seem like they have to indulge her in whatever she's doing in order to kind of, like, keep working there. And it's it's a strange contrivance that just... She's only in this story to be a problem for 
them not to be her own character. There's not really anything going on with Viperins. Um, she executes a shitload of alien soldiers because she says, I am the law in this land and I don't take prisoners. Now, do I believe that Madame Hydra believes in law in any real meaningful sense? Absolutely not. Um, but I think if I can put on my defense hat for here for just a second, I think it needs to be taken into account that she is the absolute law in this land, as far as we know. And what she says goes. Uh, she's not actually committing any crimes by executing people on her land, as she's been doing that the entire time that she's been ruling, um, as we'll see later. Um, but yeah, in in a more prosecutorial sense, it is considered a war crime to kill people with their hands bound behind their back uh, when they are not aggressing you and not armed. Um, in fact, this is so shocking of an atrocity that the alien invading force decides to change their rules of engagement so that they can execute prisoners, which, due to later actions of Viper, will cause Storm to have her life be at risk. Um, I think one of the greatest crimes that Viper commits in this, besides the execution and attempted execution of unarmed enemy combatants and prisoners of war, um, is that she assaults Storm from behind, um, not through drugging, actually. She severs her spinal cord, and through great blood loss and bodily trauma, uh, nearly kills Storm and leaves her open to being kidnapped by the enemy invading force. And the only reason that she does this, the only reason that she does this is because Storm has prevented her from killing the last prisoner of war that they have, who, maybe in Viper's defense, happens to be the actual leader of the invading army, and killing him might have ended the assault. We don't know. We have no idea. Just if there's any defense of Viper is maybe that. It is maybe that she is the lawful tyrant of this nation as a colonizing force from outside of it and the none of this really holds together as a defense in my opinion but i feel like there is some at least bare bones legality to her actions here but yeah she uh ends up brutally damaging storm's body to the point where she may have been paralyzed forever if not for the alien technology that saves her life she may have killed her uh, I think crimes against Storm are crimes against humanity. I think everybody would agree here. Um, and in in the end, um, it's, we, we, we said earlier that Sage shoots her. Actually, Storm uh, shoots her, which is a nice little bit of vengeance there. Um, but nothing, nothing that Viper does in this entire time is helpful to the invasion. In fact, it puts lives in danger. She's said to be building guerrilla forces and arming her people. But it seems like everything she does doesn't have any reason behind it other than that she would like to see the death of these invaders. And she does not care how many deaths of Madriporian citizens this costs her. Um, it's very difficult to mount a real defense of this character at this time, of Madame Viper. Madame Hydra, sorry. Um, after this, she does attempt, she she kidnaps many of the X-Men and puts them in her personal murder world, which it turns out isn't murder world, it's just London. Uh, who hasn't made that mistake before? <laughs> she also does claim that she's going to kill the Queen of England. It turns out that it is not actually the Queen of England. Now, does this make it more or less of a crime? That's extremely debatable, and we don't need to worry about it now that Lizzie's in a box. But... 
Um, she doesn't actually attempt to kill the Queen of England. She does attempt to kill a real working class person who does work for the Queen of England, which, you know, also an extreme crime. And she does attempt to nuke London. That is a really important part that we have to hold on here. She was going to nuke London. The bomb was going to go off no matter what happened. We are assured by the story that no matter if the X-Men had gotten the bomb out of there or not, the nuke was going to go off in London. So I think that's the most important thing to take away from that particular story. Although she doesn't actually seem to be very evil in that story. She's doing this all as a distraction. (laughs) She's going to nuke London as a distraction so that she can... um, kill or work with Courtney Ross. It's a whole Hellfire Club thing. So I, I, I think we should throw the book for the nuke. I recommend that the court throw the book for working with the Hellfire Club and using a nuke as a distraction. I think there's all sorts of crimes. The crime against Storm still the greatest crime to have been committed yet. Um, moving on, her interactions with Iron Man. This is actually a very interesting story. This is a lot of fun. Um, She does kill several people in cold blood, but they are what I'd like to consider normal supervillain evil in the in the parlance of our trials that we go here, the legal framework that we've been working on. There's an average level of normal supervillainy that you must expect from a supervillain. And none of this here is particularly racially motivated or genocidal or anything beyond there's a beheading of a guy who works for S.H.I.E.L.D., kind of understandable if you're the prince of a foreign nation um does shield i don't know it's confusing whether shield works for america or the world you know that's that's kind of a thing that goes around and around in circles um but at this time it's being directed by iron man so we can say where their allegiances clearly lie this is iron man from the narc squad of avengers who viper in this issue actually asks him if he had a captain america assassinated and is like good job that looked good uh, she she doesn't actually like really do much beyond be a tyrant at this point, and we can debate the legality of that all as long as we want. But I think in an international sense, she is an illegitimate tyrant. I think we can all agree that she, the reason that she's driven out of Madripoor at the end and replaced by Tiger Tiger is explicitly because she has been feeding off and preying on the citizens of Madripoor, and that becomes public knowledge due to filming her you know, when she didn't think she was being filmed, you know, a a classic of the mid 2000s in Marvel comics, to be honest. Um, Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't really do much. That's like super, super villainous evil there. Um, But later she runs into Wolverine and Punisher. Uh, She is trying to buy predator X's off of Kimura. That's a whole interesting thing where the comic is uh, the story in which she's working is, Written by the seat of its pants at the very best, but it has some gorgeous Kenneth Rockefeller art, and uh, I would fully recommend going and looking at that just for just for that. Kenneth Rockefeller did amazing work on Ultimates and several other properties that you might remember from around that time. Um, but she is trying to buy Predator X's so that she can personally assassinate various criminal leaders around the world. It's a vague and a very much average marvel villain level of villainy there's not much there to tie her to hydra although she is using hydra at this time it's kind of strange she doesn't have as much of a a nazi ideology or even a nihilist ideology at this time it seems that she's just spitting mad and like happy to kill whenever it suits her she doesn't really have a coherent perspective or ideology or worldview on evil or villainy at this time politics aside 
It's just about personal gains and power, as much death as possible, and um, you know, making sure that she's never in a vulnerable position, which, you know, take that for what you will. A lot of us have found ourselves in bad situations and vowed to never let ourselves be vulnerable again. But I think that there's a limit to what you can justify in the course of doing that. And I think that limit is definitely reached when you find a group of genocidally programmed robot beasts, cloned beasts. I'm unclear on the Predator X. They're made of mercury skin. That that alone is terrifying. It's it's not acceptable to buy bioweapons of that kind and buying them from Facility X is maybe the most questionable thing you could possibly do. Um, yeah, and I think that I think that really closes out the crimes of Viper in this era. Uh, you said you hated reading these comics or didn't enjoy them. What was it that you did not like? So I I don't like the use of Viper um, in such a in an in inconsistent manner during this era. There's a lot of consistency with her plot from comic to comic because a lot several of these are written by Chris Claremont. Um, so he remembers the story he's been writing, and that's interesting. But she just seems to exist in a story at this point to be crazy and evil <laughs> and unpredictable. You know, like nothing that she does in this entire X-Men part makes any real sense. Uh, it's not consistently it's not even consistent in the level of where she was before, you know, where she has like a goal of nihilism or power or anything like that. She actively endangers the people of Madripoor while she's simultaneously arming them. She just seems like a bad leader or maybe an ill-considered one at that time. And, you know, I, I don't know, like, why why tell that story? And I think the less said about C.B. Sapolsky's uh, Kimura and Viper written story, the better. Uh, that's why I talked very glowingly about the Kenneth Roquefort art, who is an artist I genuinely respect quite a bit. Very gorgeous art, but the writing is atrocious. I just looked him up as you were talking. He's so handsome. <laughs> oh, uh, Ken, Ken Roquefort? Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. He's <laughs> handsome and he knows how to make his characters look handsome. C.B. Sobolski, there's a lot to dig into there, obviously, but it's it's not a fun story to read in any way. Um yeah. Questions or comments from the jury on this section before we yeah. vote. I was just going to briefly say, I love the idea of murder world being like a retirement option. Like I'm just going to buy a little franchise in murder world, you know, settle down, just do that. I just like this idea. Like it could be like an, uh, a TV, you know, like an office type of thing, you know, Viper, you know, at murder world, just, I, I'm just putting it out there. It would be a great, great show. I really like the suggestion at the beginning of this this couple of issues that that is the case, that she bought Murder World from Arcade. But it's very confusing that towards the end of it, there it's not Murder World. Like, only the first part was, maybe, but it's just regular London that they're in. She claims it's a replica of London that's as big as London, but it's clear that it's just London. I love Murder World. Murder World is the Hunger Games and Squid Game, like, just however it's written. I, it's so fun. Uh, do we have other questions or comments here before we vote? Uh, great job, Steve. Thank you so much for reading these crazy comics. Uh, hey, thank, you. thank you. If you're voting five, raise your hand. Uh, we'll kind of see where everybody is at. Okay, it's fives across the board. Anyone have comments before we move to our final trial point? This was an Iron Man comic I actually liked a lot. It's I rarely like an Iron Man comic. That was very good. That was the best comic I read of this whole bunch. Yeah, it's actually a pretty decent issue. It was fun for me yeah. to reread that as well. 
Uh, trial point five is Hammer. This is the acronym organization of Norman Osborne that was never given an actual acronym. It's just Hammer with periods in between all the letters and they don't mean anything. Uh, the assigned jury member here is Isabel Dieppa. The key issues here are Spider-Man, excuse me, Spider-Woman volume four, numbers three and four, Avengers volume four, 22 through 24, all new X-Men eight, 13 and 14, and Death of Wolverine number two, plus the limited series Hunt for Wolverine Mystery in Madripoor. Back in charge of Hydra, Vibra, who, excuse me, goodness. Back in charge of Hydra, Viper, uh, who is now calling herself Madam Hydra again, captured a scroll agent, then tried forcibly recruiting Spider-Woman to rejoin their organization, gunning down many cops in order to get to Jessica. In the end, Jessica killed the scroll and escaped, and Viper had to abandon the base. Soon, after getting an octopus on her head, dying once, and then getting an octopusectomy, Viper allied herself with Norman Osborn's Hammer organization in a world domination plot. They captured the new Avengers, and Viper took particular pleasure in both flirting with and beating up Captain America and keeping Spider-Woman imprisoned. Viper then had an audience with the president in which she demanded that not only Norman Osborn be given control of the government, but that the Avengers be put on trial for war crimes and Hydra be made an authorized international peacekeeping force. When the president refused, Viper ordered her gamma-irradiated soldiers to kill all the military who attacked them. Osborn and his allies failed, and Viper took over the remnants of his organization as their new leader. Madame Hydra then launched an attack on Avengers Tower, wanting to burn it to the ground, but her forces were defeated by a teenage time-traveling angel and an adult angel-slash-archangel, causing her to flee. After Madame Hydra got control of Madripoor again, she considered selling it to Mystique and her criminal allies, including Sabretooth and the son of Silver Samurai, after a battle with the time-traveling X-Men and Wolverine. On Madripoor, Viper kept Sabretooth poisoned and chained. Then she took a contract from Dr. Abraham Cornelius, that guy from Weapon X, to capture Wolverine. So she sent Nuke to do the job. Nuke is a whole conversation. <laughs> when Wolverine came after her, she made him fight Sabretooth to the death, but she left before the fight was finished. Taking money from the company Sotera, and that's a whole conversation as well. Viper worked with Sapphire Styx. Uh, I have an episode on her with Jim Zub out there. So, uh, Sapphire Styx and the Femme Fatales in Madripoor to keep Magneto and a group of X-Men active while she launched a mysterious satellite for the organization. In the end, the X-Men all escaped, the satellite was stopped, and Viper was defeated. Uh, let me turn it over to my friend Isabel for, uh, for this section. Thank you so much, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. First, I need to say that my client is very um, dead set on being the villain. This is who she is and what she wants to do. Therefore, defending her is shown as an issue, but I will actually start with my defense of Madame Hydra. Um, throughout these issues, uh, we don't really see her trauma. I know of her trauma because it's based on everything that we already heard prior from all of the other uh, 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 arguments that have been made. But what we do see in these issues is what happens when we allow our wounds to fester and take control over us instead of taking control instead of us taking control over our wounds. 
Um, we have discussed uh, nihilism, and I also want to, well, a little bit of nihilism, and she talks a lot about nihilism, but I agree that I don't think that Viper, aka Madam Hydra, understands what nihilism actually is. But I want to bring in also the argument of stoicism. Um, so what are the main differences between stoicism and nihilism? Stoicism is about finding strength and meaning within oneself and living virtuously, whereas nihilism denies any inherent meaning or value in life. So if we're just going to go with this very simple, this simplified idea of nihilism, then yes, she doesn't believe that anything has any meaning. She believes that everything should um, be destroyed and that these organizations should then be the leaders, which is why it, it becomes um, conflicting when we come to think about it. Um, there's a really great quote from philosopher Episceptus. Do not seek for things to happen the way you want them to. Rather, wish that what happens happen the way it happens. Then you will be happy. So we see Viper and Madam Hydra, Hydra constantly trying to take control over situations where she does not have control. Um, so one of the ways that we see this is actually in her relationship with Spider-Woman. When she uh, uh, she finds Spider-Woman during a moment of vulnerability in issue number three um, and into issue number four, Spider-Woman has just finished killing a scroll. And she does not want to have anything really to do with Madame Hydra. Jessica Drew does not have anything to do with Madame Hydra. Madame Hydra is still gung ho on telling her that she is, that she is Jessica Drew's mother. And um, what's really interesting about this is that as the villain that she is, she uses a lot of manipulation tactics, and she really goes into um, getting into Jessica Drew's guilt. And also Jessica Drew's desire for love and for family. Um, and so Madame Hydra tries to be the mother to Jessica Drew, inviting her in, calling her sweetie. Um, and she she doesn't, um, Jessica Drew tries to not fall for it. And yet she follows her to the prison where she is then introduced to the other sprawl who was posing as Jessica. And so here's where it becomes very interesting when you look at the differences between how Jessica Drew decides to face her wounds and how Madame Hydra decides to pay, face her wounds. And Madame Hydra gives the scroll to Jessica as a way for Jessica to basically kill the scroll and to have her revenge, to have her closure. And she and she even says, you know, I'm giving you closure. I'm giving you I'm giving you what you want. And Jessica uh, very much is at odds with herself. And the reason why I think that these two issues um, that I was assigned um, really show the evilness of of um, Madame Hydra is that she really gives zero fucks about what tactics she needs to use in order to get people onto her side. She will use all sorts of manipulation. She will um, dig at your deepest wounds and try to suss you out through that. And so I feel like that shows her to be a true menacing villain, which I feel my, um, my client definitely wants. She wants to be the villain. She, she, she revels in this. Um, but on the other hand, 
Um, if we are going to talk about defense, there is the issue of trauma and the fact that Madame Hydra uh, has always been a tool as a part of whatever organization she's working for and whatever leader she's working under, be it Hammer, be it Hydra, whoever it is, she actually is not in charge, even though she thinks that she is. And the reason why she thinks that she is, is because she's taken on these wounds and instead of healing them, she has decided to live them. And what's interesting is that uh, difficulty and adversity builds character. And we have the option to take power over the negative things that happen to us by accepting and learning from it, or we can let the events and emotions overpower us, define us, and dictate the next course of our actions. And that's what we see Madame Hydra doing. We see her becoming her pain no matter who she works with. And we see this in how she even works with Hammer and um, in the Avengers and how she, um, her form of leadership. And we also see this in uh, how in the in the Wolverine series, uh, the, the four-part miniseries where she is the leader, but she isn't actually the leader. She's working under, again, someone else. She's the leader of a small faction in Madripoor, but she actually isn't in charge of the entire operation. And so we constantly see Madame Hydra, uh, Madame Hydra being used as a tool. In addition, uh, the one defense that I do think that our uh, Madame Hydra has is that she has embodied the name of Madame Hydra, and we see her in multiple issues where she has embraced her dominatrix role and she has decided that <laughs> men must be straddled to a chair, legs open, and uh, arms wide open as well. We saw Magneto in this position. We saw Captain America in this position. She very much, when she said that she was Madame Hydra, she was not joking. Therefore, her one defense is that, yes, she is hot and she should be called mommy uh whenever you request her to uh whenever you request to speak in her presence however we must understand that the villainy that has become in madame hydra that it is she has decided to become the the villain that the world told her that she is and Trauma is real and she does have trauma and it's not her fault. However, she has a responsibility to heal that and to become better as we all do. And she chooses to be a villain and therefore I must accept her for who she is. That is the end of my case. I adore this visual of you visiting her in prison and you're like, look, I'm your lawyer. You're a real bitch, but you got <laughs> and I will help you if you want help. Like you're just you're just calling it like it is with her. It's fantastic. This era of her kind of being a company man, she's like clearly affiliating herself with various like white supremacists and Nazis and wanting them to control the world government. Yes. It's a different form of storytelling and it's a Trumpism era, uh, you know, of storytelling. But she's uh, she's clearly choosing sides in this one, even though she's not in charge. And I, you you made you made the snow and I, I don't know, I wasn't sure if I was gonna bring it in because I was like, oh, I don't want to have too many um too many thoughts into one. I wanted to kind of like streamline my arguments. But um 
it is great because in the in the Madripoor arc, um, on the side, it, we also see that the that's the story where um, we see uh, Betsy go back to her body and um, Quanan go back to her body, and like we see Psylocke when when Quanan actually becomes Psylocke permanently, which I think is really cool because like that's my favorite Psylocke. I do cosplay Psylocke. So. And go check the Sapphire Sticks episode if you want to hear me interview Jim Sub about that, as well as Jim's first appearance on my show when we talk about this storyline as well. Yeah. Uh, questions or comments from the jury on this final section of Madam Hydra's history? I, I just wanted to mention, you're absolutely right, she should be called Mommy. I was bringing up just the time that Reagan called her Mommy, and she said, no, Mr. President, someone much, much better. <laughs> uh, do we have other questions or comments here I'm kind of presuming it's all fives from everybody again so if I can just get a show of hands if you're voting five uh, it is fives for everyone but Isabel Isabel let me hear your vote oh, oh no she I was saying yes I'm sorry yes oh it's all fives okay if it's all five. fives that gives us a 148 out of 50 total for her, which gives her literally, if we're rounding up, a 99% asshole scale, which is right where she belongs. And the only one worse uh, in my show's history is Mesmero. <laughs> Mesmero got worse? Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, as we are wrapping up here, let me hear some of your final thoughts on uh, Madam Hydra. What did you learn today? How are you feeling, everybody? Uh, as you're sharing your final thoughts, let me hear where we can find you online. And is there anything you want to plug on uh, January 25th, uh, which is when we release this? I, I did want to find, I'm sorry. No, it's oh, okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I would just, I would just really like um, to find a good therapist for um, these characters. Like so many characters need therapy, but like she definitely like, if, if we're going to lock her up, like, you know, we need to like, if she's going to like, uh, you know, go to prison for her crimes, which she should, because, you know, violating the people's bodies is not okay. She she should go to therapy. She should like understand, you know, why is it that she does what she does and maybe work on herself. That's all I have. Where can people find you online, Isabel? Oh, um, people can find me. Uh, they can find me on Instagram at Isabel Estiepa. Um, and that same handle as well, Siepa, is also on Twitter, which I barely ever use, and on threads, and on TikTok. And um, I have a website that will be launching um, at the end of this month. It has not launched yet, but fanaticasgeeky.com. And that will have all sorts of fun um, articles and videos. And um, my, uh, my podcast, The Barbie Experience, is on YouTube. You are, you just glow like sunshine energy. It's so good to see you today, my friend. Thank you for Thank coming. You. Uh, Susan, did you want to go next? Yeah, I just, I was, um, as we, as you said, she's 99%, you know, villainous. I just felt strangely giddy and jubilant. And then I was like, <laughs> what? Why am I so excited for her? You know, like she's indefensible, you know, like. You know, at the beginning, I said, yeah, you, you you consort with Nazis. There's no coming back from that. And yet I had this feeling of like jubilant, you know, glee, like, yeah, goo, you made it to 99% villainous. So there's something so compelling about her. Um, you know, she's awful and wonderful. So it's been a, a great pleasure. And again, I'm Susan Kirtley. Um, I'm at uh, Portland State University. And you can uh, email me at skirtley at PSU, uh, pdx.edu. So thank you for including. So me. great to see you, Susan. Uh, Noel, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, I think my final thoughts are: I could never get enough Viper. Uh, she's just so much fun, you know. She's the like 
queen of women's wrongs and she owns it and she looks great while she does it. So she's evil, but anytime she wants to show up on the page, I'll be there to read it. Um, and you can find my podcast X-Men Unraveled wherever you listen. Um, and there's also, um, some podcast pages. I don't know. I'm trying to find my place still on the internet now that Twitter is not what it used to be, but X-Men Unraveled on Instagram is my main hangout. I will go next. I'm going to share some final thoughts. I love this character. I think she's a chaotic, wonderful villainess. I love a good comic book villainess. I love her as a Bond girl, a bad guy. I love her for her fashion and dominatrix energy. I love her in the Hellfire Club in Murder World. I love her as Wolverine's wife. I love her as Leona Hiss. I love her as the water supply poisoning crazy lady who wants to just transform everyone. Some of her stories are mediocre, but she's just kind of a transcendently fun supervillain. And there's no apologies for it. I can find the trauma and I can find the reasons, but I also have zero sympathy for her. And I love her for that too, because she doesn't she doesn't want us to know her sides. My least favorite stories of her are when she is a tool for someone else. I also really, really hated, and I won't look up a name here, the actress that played this character in the Wolverine movie that one time. God, yeah. it, was a, it was a bad performance and a bad film. Ugh, so hate it. This character is so much better than that portrayal. Uh, <laughs> uh, Steve, go ahead and share your thoughts, and then, I'll, and then I'll do my outro. I will share my thoughts on 2013's The Wolverine by James Mangold. We just rewatched this film in my house. I'm a big defender of this film. I think it's very, very good. Uh, the Viper is not great. She's one of the worst parts of the movie, but her her performance is so damn camp because she's just licking people. She's like a weird mutant who is also a snake lady. It's it's not a good Viper at all, but I will defend I want I want Eartha Kitt as Viper because I'm just an old <laughs> soul in that way. That would be amazing. That um, would be amazing. <laughs> I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. The five of you are welcome to add me, however. Uh, but on the show coming up, you can find us, Malkin underscore lane on Instagram. We're also doing some really fun stuff on Discord these days. So watch for the link and uh, come come hang out with us. We're having a really good time over there. Um, the next episode coming out immediately after the show is going to be Amazing Adventures number 15. Featuring the insane villain, The Griffin, who is a Marvel bad guy who had lion paws eagle wings and a lion's mane surgically grafted to his body in order to become a supervillain and he's fantastic uh that's i'm going to be featuring the incredible cosplayers uh, i'll use their instagram names here uh, uh hum h2 talk nerdy to me and brown sugar outlaw it's going to be a, a fantastic conversation uh and uh, let me turn it over to uh, hussein rashid next all right uh thanks chad uh thanks everybody for this great conversation uh, you can find me online on my website, HusseinRashid.com. If you're on Mastodon, I'm Islamoyanki at Mastodon.social, because I'm off all the other hell sites. Um, I recently, well, recently came out, so do check it out. I did a podcast on Miss Marvel. For those of you who don't know, I coded a book with my friend Jessica Baldonzi on Miss Marvel. Um, and I did a podcast on the TV show called Generation M with the amazing award-winning journalist uh, Ali Akbar Ahmed. Um, um, oh my god, did I just do his name in verse? Yes, Ahmed Ali Akbar. Let's do his name properly. Uh, and you don't need to edit that because he'll rib me for the rest of my life, so you can just leave that in. Uh, <laughs> so you can uh, uh, check that out. It's called Generation M and it's about the Miss Marvel TV series. And buy my book, If Miss Marvel's America, No Normal. Any final thoughts on Madam Hydra? Oh, yes, I'm looking forward to Steve's uh, edited volume on the greatest speeches of uh, Viper. Uh, 
uh, slash Madam Hydra uh, due out at the end of 2024. <laughs> uh, fantastic. And then finally, Steve Duda. Yeah, sorry. I forgot that I had not already gone. Uh, yeah, I'll be working on that book. Uh, you know, it's uh, any day now. Thanks for that pressure. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter, which is now called X by some people. Um, I am at Howdy Duda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. You can also find me on Blue Sky. You can just look through at Islamo Yankees Friends uh, on there. You can find me, whatever. I don't know. I haven't checked into that website in a bit. The group Anonymous started following me, and that really freaked me out. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> do they do that to everybody? Please let me know. Readers, <laughs> let me know. Email chat about it. Um, yeah, no, uh, you can find me on there. Uh, I have a few podcast things that I'm not sure I can exactly talk about coming up in the works, but they may be coming out. They may have something to do with Deep Space Nine right around the time that this is coming out. Um, I'll just say that I love talking about the Maquis and I'm excited to get a chance to. Um, yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, at the end of these, I always announce the next trial. The trial of uh, Marvel Girl, Jean Grey, long anticipated will be happening at the end of February. In March, I am gathering a group of world building novelists to discuss world building and to discuss uh, the impact of fictional worlds on Marvel's fictional worlds. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. So that's what you have to look forward to in February and March. Thank you so much to this lovely, wonderful jury for spending your uh, uh, Sunday afternoon with me. So many smiles. I had a great time today. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you back here next Monday on Grey and Lane. Thank you for listening to Graymalk and Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Graymalk and Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help... Grandma Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Grandma Malkin Lane.